What's up, everybody? It's time for the In Off the Bench podcast. I am Daniel Ball, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, my partner in crime, my brother from another mother, Jim Cross. And Jim, tonight's episode 11 titled, Let's Get Psycho, because we have the psycho on tonight, the Ole Miss relief pitcher, the guy who's throwing 96 from the bump, Wes Burton. But before Wes joins us, man, Jim, I need to know, how was the weekend? Tell me everything you did. Well, man, you know how it is. The first thing you got to do is take care of the wife. And you take care of the wife by taking her to the Orpheum and seeing the Lion King. And Ooh. so, I, so I, got, I got it done there. And then the next step, you got to take care of the kids. Well, I went and took Jackson to see one of our guests, Mike Reels. He put his title on the line in a triple threat match. And Daniel, he retained his title. So shout out to Mike Reels and my son for being Mike Reels only fan because you know he is the lead heel and he gets nothing but the boo birds and he was going against two of the, the people's favorites. So he, he withstood the crowd. He was he withstood the two opponents and he, he retained his title. You know, we, we got to get Mike back on. I mean, if, if that's your son's guy, like – we, we got to get the villain. We, we, we got to know what it's like to be booed, but give everybody the middle finger on the way out because you beat everybody's hero, man. That's, that's funny. Funny. It is. It is and he play and he plays it so well. Well, speaking of playing well, man, let's bring the guy who's played well for, you know, the past few seasons at Ole Miss, man. Help me welcome on to the show with the biggest interview and podcasting this week. Our man, Ole Miss, right-handed pitcher, Wes Burton. All right, Wes, my man, how we doing tonight? Doing fantastic. How are y'all doing? We are blessed as always. We're, we're lucky, you know, to have you on. Um, we get a chance to talk to you about, you know, um, really your career. We're going to get your backstory, where you're from, where you grew up, um, leading up into pretty, what I would like to say, probably high expectations for this next spring season for Ole Miss baseball. But before, before we get into all that, I, I got to know, um, do you personally consider yourself TikTok famous? Because I consider you TikTok famous. But that's not saying much because I like I don't really follow it. And some some of the stuff I don't really get, but I see the followers that you got, I see the videos, I see the things you're putting out there. Are you famous? I wouldn't call myself TikTok famous. I wouldn't call myself famous in general. Uh I really I just really enjoy making videos, honestly. And I've been lucky to be around this great game for shoot, probably the better part of 15 years at this point. And in that time, I've really accumulated some knowledge and had to kind of dig into the weeds a little bit. And I really want to grow the game of baseball. I think the game of baseball is awesome, but we can do a better job of getting young people involved in the game. And so with TikTok kind of growing in its prominence over the last couple of years and giving a great platform for those little bite-sized content nuggets that like young people and really everyone with our short attention spans these days, that's what everybody's after. And so I've really been excited to hop on TikTok. I think I've been on there for probably four and a half months at this point. So I haven't been on there very long, 
but just to use that as a platform to kind of give back to the baseball community, to share some knowledge that I've picked up over the years. So long answer to your question. No, I'm not TikTok famous, but I do have a couple of people that like my videos. So who, who's, who's got better videos, you or Peyton Chatonier? I think I make my own videos. And so I'm going to plug myself there. But as far as getting 12 year old girls to fall in love with him, <laughs> I got to oh, give it to Peyton. That is awesome. Got to give it oh. to Peyton there. He's got the hair and everything. Whereas I've just got the kind of clean crew cut working. Well, to your point, you're dropping knowledge. He's just popping out of bed and walking out the door, and then he's in uniform. Like, yeah, and then he got the little, like, step on the camera thing, and then now he's now he's all dressed, and all the girls are falling all over him, whereas I'm trying to teach people how to take care of their arms and do stuff like that. And, and Daniel, you will appreciate it. He has some videos out there. It's not just about throwing the baseball. He's got some workout videos, you know, teaching them the fundamentals of working out and getting stronger. All right. I got to check this out. So I am, am not the, the social media guru on this podcast whatsoever. But when I'm forwarded videos, then I go down these rabbit holes and then I start talking like I've been on it for years. So um, I have a feeling I'm going to be sent some of these videos or, or tagged on some of these videos and I'll spend the next two hours of my life just going down the rabbit hole. Oh, uh -oh. it is a dangerous place. You get you get sucked in and two hours goes by like it's been five minutes. I mean, it's to me, I think social media itself has, you know, made bathroom time longer than ever for everybody. <laughs> so, you know, with that statement, let's 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 move on. Let's get into this interview, man. Um, I want to get the backstory on West Burton. Um, you're a Cali guy, right? West Coast? Yep. Santa right. Monica, born and raised. Santa Monica. What's it like being a guy from Santa Monica? You know, just are you are you like laid back, kind of chill? Or are you, you know, what what's what's the demeanor for a guy like you? I don't know that I fit the the California stereotype super well. Like I'm not the surfer, skateboarder, like laid back, shaka kind of dude. Um I mean, I do, do like to eat my avocados every once in a while. So I guess okay. that part fits. Don't but, we all? Yeah. Oh, it's good. If that's a deal breaker for me, if you don't like avocados, I'm out. I can't, can't hang with you. But I mean, I don't, so I guess I wouldn't say I fit perfectly into the kind of California stereotype, but it's been an adjustment being in Mississippi for sure. Just the pace of life is totally different. But what is Santa Monica? I mean, I've been to California. I've never been to Santa Monica. So like put it in perspective, like, is it a big place or, um, you know, is, in comparison to Oxford, I mean, is it like gigantic compared to Oxford or is it, you know, about on par equal size? What are we looking at here? Uh, Santa Monica is definitely bigger than Oxford. Santa Monica for reference is the beach town of Los Angeles. So downtown LA is a little bit inland, but if you're downtown LA, and you say, hey, I want to go to the beach, and you just make a beeline straight for the water, you're going to end up in Santa Monica. Yeah. It seems like such a resume builder when you, when you put hometown Santa Monica. Like, <laughs> like I'm, je so many, I, I'm jealous, man. It's been in so many songs, too. Like, I know. Yeah. Oh, you uh, got Hollywood, Santa Monica, Beverly Hills. 
everybody. It's it's definitely a conversation starter. It gets, oh, people, sure. it gets people interested, brings people in. So if nothing else, I've always got that one in my back pocket for uh, striking up a conversation with someone. All right. So on the bio, I, I see information about mom. I see information about dad. Are you got any brothers or sisters? Are you only child? I have four half sisters all on my dad's side, two older, two a lot older to a lot younger. What's the, you know, obviously, you know, the, the ages vary, but what's the dynamic like having, you know, four half sisters, like of various ages, are you guys close or are you just kind of, you know, it's family. So you kind of get along when you have to, or like, well, explain that. Yeah, I'm me. a lot closer with my younger sisters. Um, I don't, Unfortunately, I don't really have much of a relationship with my older sisters at this point. I haven't spoken to them in probably 10 years at this point. So there's not really much of a relationship there. But I mean, my younger sisters bring me so much joy. And it's been so awesome to see them grow up. They're 10 and 8 at this point, Hope and Lila. And it's been so fantastic just seeing their their growth. And I mean, shoot, they they get bigger every time I see them and they get smarter and it, it's, it's scary. Sometimes it really shows how, how fast life goes by that I'll, I'll go to school for a semester and come back and they'll be totally different than, than the two girls they were when, when I left. So, I, I mean, I love them to death and it, it's, it's a little unfortunate being so far across the country from them that I don't get to, to see them in person as much these days, but I mean, we'll hop on FaceTime and, and I'll talk to them and uh, they bring me so much joy and, and hopefully, hopefully I bring the same to them. Oh, no doubt. I'm, I'm sure that you do. I, I, I feel like the, the whole giving back through TikTok, um, especially like the youth and getting them inspired to be in the game of baseball and really, you know, creating a buzz because as a baseball guy myself, like it's a hard sell to a kid to get into baseball and there's a lot of different factors but once you're in it's like oh man like you you enjoy the beauty of it so i can imagine having those two you know growing up like being an influence to them you know probably played a little bit of factor into in giving back to, to baseball through tiktok with your videos and, and and your instruction and the things that you do um so let's you know while we're while we're on it let's let's dive into some baseball let's dive into some sports you know, as a kid growing up, like I picture SEC athletes when they come on, like the best player on all of their teams. Um, did you play a lot of different sports as a kid uh, prior to high school or was it strictly just baseball? Yeah, so I played soccer all growing up. My dad's from England, so that's actually something we still bond over to this day is English Premier League soccer. Um so soccer has been a big part of my life growing up. I, I probably stopped playing around 11 or 12. And I played basketball until I was probably 13, 14. I never played football growing up. Um, but definitely soccer and basketball were, were a big part of my, my growing up. But then really kind of 13, 14 was when I kind of set my mind to baseball being in my future. And that was really when I, I kind of specialized and, uh, there's a lot you see it in in the world every day the the debate of like oh is sports specialization good or bad or how old should my kid be when they just like pick a sport 
Um, and I'm reading uh, the Tiger Woods biography right now. And it's talking about how like his dad Earl had him swinging a golf club at like two years old and like never played another sport all growing up. And then you hear the stories of the super athletes that like ran track in high school and played football in high school and then went out when it was springtime and played baseball and did everything and then end up playing at the tippy top professional ranks. Um, I think it's an individual question. I think it was the right decision for me to specialize when I did, but it, it came from me. It wasn't my parents pushing me in one direction or another. It was really my mom and my dad just giving me sort of giving me the reins to decide how much I wanted to push, whether I wanted to pull back a little bit. And so I, I, I think it, looking back, it was the right decision for me at the time. And, and I'm grateful that, that my parents supported me doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. I, I think there's a little bit of, of like just me being in Florida right now, there's a little bit of bias that I see with people just wanting to specialize in one sport. Um, and it's probably because if you don't, you almost get left behind because here it, baseball can go all year round. No problem. Yeah. Um, so like if you're taking time off, like in a parent's eyes, you're like, well, my kid's going to fall behind. And especially if you're good at baseball or better at baseball than you are at another sport, it's hard to, to justify, you know, doing both. But, you know, Plus, I, Daniel doesn't like soccer, so he's probably glad you jumped off that train. <laughs> yeah, I, I so it's not that I don't like soccer. What I don't like about soccer, it's not the sport. It's the fact that you can end the game in a tie like that. That baffles me that it's just like, oh, shake your hand. Good game. But it's zero to zero. But Wes, but Wes, be proud of him. He went to his first collegiate soccer game a couple of weeks ago and watched one of our guests because they were hosting the American Athletic Conference in his backyard. So he did actually go attend the soccer there you game. Go. There you they go. Won. And Memphis won. And, and you know, I, I feel like I was a contributing factor in the stands <laughs> to that victory. Hey, um, kudos to you for going. Hey, I had a good time. It was, it was, it was fun to see, like, Talking to you on camera on a podcast, it's great, but it's even better to see you in the element that we're talking about. So, at you know, anytime we get a chance to see the athletes in their element, it's always fun. And, you know, I, I had a great time and, you know, I wish, you know, I was closer to a lot of the athletes that we talked to so I could see them more. Um, but yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll make you the promise. If, if you ever get a chance to, to come into Tampa, if you got – usf by chance uh on the docket man i'll i'll, I'll be there I'm, I'm not i'm not going to florida i'm just gonna tell you that right now not 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 doing it can't won't it smells um, bad there in, in my opinion gainesville doesn't even exist on the map so that there, <laughs> there you go but um you know as a as a guy you you decide to specialize you know probably towards high towards you know you entering high school so you go into high school you go to the Win winward school like wh what type of school is that because you know when i when i read the school name it just says winward school it seems like it's a 
prestigious. It's not just like a regular high school. Like what, what kind of school is this? Yeah. So it was a small kind of college prep liberal arts kind of school. Um, I think my graduating class was like 105. So definitely on the smaller end, there was a really a focus there on the, the academic component. It's a, it's a private school. It's a really great academic environment. I give them a lot of credit for not only preparing me for college, but I think preparing me to, to go out in the world and feel like I can represent myself well. So the, the academic piece at Windward was awesome. Um, at least as far as baseball is concerned, it wasn't the most competitive environment. Uh, we were, I think, Division Four, Division Five, which it, how California does it is like Division One through Division Six. So we were kind of with one being the kind of highest competition level. So that gives you a good sense of uh, it, it wasn't the strongest competition. It wasn't the strongest baseball environment ever, which really led me to by my sophomore year and junior year really putting more of an emphasis on, on club ball to where I could go out and play, play against stronger competition, play with other guys that really had more of those college aspirations. And, but it, it was a, it was a great academic environment and I'm very fortunate to have had the opportunity to attend Windward. So let's, let's talk about the academics for a second. Cause I'm, I'm always curious because, you know, I, I'm a father, I'm, you know, at some point I'm going to, you know, my kid's only four, but at some point she's going to travel and make this journey through schools. And um, uh, did Winward, do you think it did a fair job of preparing you for the difficulty of college in the academic sense? Or do you think that you were as equally prepared as anybody else, but college was either harder or easier? It just depended on the work that you put in. I don't think that there could have been a better academic environment to prepare me for the rigors of college than Windward. The, just what was, what was asked of us as students and what was more than anything expected of us was to not only do our, like do the assignments that you're asked, but to do them at a, a level of quality and uh, just the standard that we were held to really, if anything, coming into college my freshman year made college seem easier. There was a, there was less volume of assignments and it seemed like the assignments were easier in my college classes compared to high school. And so I'm really grateful for, for those four years at Windward for really preparing me for that. I had, I had gone to just the local public schools, my local public elementary school and then middle school before heading to Windward. And it was definitely a step up in terms of academic rigor going to Windward from those environments where uh, I, I had always been a, a really strong student and someone who, who made a strong effort in my classes, but I struggled my freshman year at Windward. Coming from John Adams Middle School, I was used to, if I went to class and like made a solid effort, like I'd get an A. And that was just the way John Adams was. But then going to Windward, like there would be assignments and I'd like miss an assignment here or there. And then like I woke up and it was like a third of the way through the year. And like I had a C in my Spanish class and I'd never gotten anything but an A in any class before because I just wasn't used to the 
the rigor of Windward academically. But then once I adjusted to that and sort of balanced out the effort that I needed to make in my classes versus the effort I needed to make off the field in baseball and kind of what the expectations were, I really excelled in that environment. And I'm super grateful that I was, was able to go there and how well it prepared me for, for college. So Wes, what do we got to do to get you to help uh, Hudson Sapp with psychology and statistics? There's, there's no shortage of guys on the team who could (laughs) a little academic help. Well, he came Uh, on here and and admitted it. 90% 90% of him for admitting it. That's 90% of Ole Miss baseball study hall has been on this show. Fact. <laughs> um, I and I, I won't say that we've, you know, delayed or rescheduled a podcast for study hall guys, but it, it may have happened more than once. <laughs> Maybe. You may um, have a better idea of the study hall schedule than but, you bargained for. But, yeah. what was, but what was interesting was Daniel brought it to Hudson's attention that a lot of baseball is psychology and statistics. And that's really odd for those to be the subjects that you struggle in and play the game of baseball. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. Uh, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to give Hudson some crap about that. Yeah, please do. Um, I think we spent a good 30 minutes of, of a podcast just getting on them about, about psychology more than anything. But yeah, it, it's, it takes a balance to not only be a, a academically driven, you know, student in college, but also when you're as athletically gifted as you are, like, you know, I'm sure Winward prepares you very well for that balance and, you know, you got to carry it over. Um, but at Winward, you know, when you talk just baseball at that high school level, um, what were some of your, what was your best season? Like personally, what was your best season? And as a team, what was your best season? So my junior year, we made a run through the Southern section tournament. I think we made it to the semifinals, I think, which was like the furthest we had gone in school history. So that was a that was a good year for me. I, I was pretty consistent in high school, I would say. Um, was a starter my sophomore year on, and was able to make a kind of steady contribution, making one start a week, and would play some. Played third base and first base up until my senior year, when I just decided I I didn't want to risk getting hurt and having to call Coach B and say that I had broken my hand sliding into second base or doing something like that. I didn't want to have that conversation. So that was when I decided to just shift to pitching only, but I, I guess probably individually my most dominant season was my senior year. Cause at that point I had, I was a little bit of a late bloomer. So I had kind of come out of my shell a little bit at that point, the velocity was starting to tick up to just a point where like kids who, had no aspirations of playing college baseball, let alone division one baseball in the sec. They were a little outmatched, but so I guess to answer your question, I'd say, I'd say probably my senior year was my best individual year. What was your best moment of your entire, like it it don't even have to be athletically related. It could be something totally. What was your best moment in high school? 
athletically was probably my sophomore year. We played Glendora High School, Jacob Gonzalez's high school, who didn't know him personally at the time. Just remembered that he was, uh, I knew that they had some stud freshman on the varsity roster and they were ranked like whatever top 10 in Southern California in division one. And we were playing in this tournament and we just got randomly matched up. So we've got this big kind of David versus Goliath sort of matchup. Um, and I went, it was at their field and I, I went and there was just no expectations of how it was going to go. I was a sophomore starting in the rotation, pitching as the ace, which didn't really, didn't really happen at my school and went and I think I threw like six and a third scoreless innings. And then we ended up getting walked off in like the eight in an extra inning. But that was probably my peak personal memory, just from going out there and having very little expectation as to how it was going to go. Cause it was the best high school team we'd ever played. Like we never played teams that good and kind of, kind of surprised them. And that was, so that was my best, probably my favorite individual moment from my high school. But I, I wouldn't say that I necessarily had the, had the most fun in high school. I, I've definitely enjoyed college more than I enjoyed high school. Yeah. And you know, that's some people are like that. My, uh, my wife is the same way. I, I loved high school. She didn't, she loved it afterward. And then I've, you know, I've kind of struggled afterwards. So, you know, it, it flip-flops for some people, but, um, you know, I also didn't focus on academics like you. So that's why when high school was over, it became troublesome for me. I had to go to the military. So, but, uh, you know, it's a small world, the fact that you played with Jacob Gonzalez and then, you know, being that, you know, a lot of guys, if they played together and then ended up at the same college, it was because they were close to, you know, y'all would be close to Oxford. The idea that y'all came from all the way out in California and then both end up at the same school. I had no idea about that. So you just dropped some information on uh, both of us, I'm sure. But uh, you talked about travel ball and, you know, we learned basically from just about every guest in every sport, you know, it's not just baseball. Uh, it's all about travel ball because you get exposure all around the country. You go against much better talent and competition. So with that, um, you know, what travel ball team did you play with? Uh, so I played with a couple different organizations at my first couple of years in high school. And then my junior, senior year, I ended up playing for the Evo Shield Canes which was such an awesome experience. They're a kind of national organization where they'll pull kids from all around the country and just go meet up and whether it's Arizona or Florida or Atlanta, kind of wherever the event is that week. And we'll just go kind of meet up there. And that was a really great experience. Like I'll still, I, I text with the coach from that team almost every week at this point and I'll still, text and snapchat with some of my buddies from that team that are off at different different colleges whether it's LSU or UNC Wilmington or Liberty or wherever they're at but it's it was a really neat opportunity to kind of get exposure on the national stage and probably more than anything build bonds with guys that that are in college baseball now that I didn't really have access to yeah absolutely I bet uh, I, I bet y'all weren't afraid to get hit by pitches being sponsored by Evo Shield and all. <laughs> yeah, they had all the all the arm guards and leg guards and everything. I wasn't I wasn't cool enough to get any of that stuff. I got like a compression sleeve and that was it. Got your compression sleeve and that little the little copper band. Yeah. Yeah. So 
you know, one of the things that I like most about club and travel ball, like my daughter is a is a club and travel soccer player. And, you know, we get tournaments in Louisiana, Florida, stuff like that. For you out in California, did y'all get to travel all across the nation? Where, you know, what'd that look like? So the majority of, of baseball stuff kind of growing up happened out in Arizona because there was all the spring training complexes out there. And that's only probably a five, five and a half hour drive for us. So it's not too, too far. So a lot of that stuff growing up probably until middle of high school was out in Arizona predominantly. And then more my junior, senior year, when you get more to the national events, that's where you end up flying to, flying to Jupiter, Florida and going to Atlanta and going kind of more across the country. Yeah, no doubt. So, you know, you mentioned Jacob Gonzalez earlier. Uh, one of the favorite questions we have is, there's always usually somebody you played with or against that is significant that we know now. You dropped that name already. Hopefully you got another one since, since you threw it out there already. Is there anybody you played against in travel ball that we would know of now? As far even, as if they took, as, even if they took a yard, you got to be honest now. Like, oh, uh, I got I to give it up. Um, so Hayden Travinsky at LSU caught me on the Canes. Um, so there's a name for you. I'm trying to think of local guys, uh, kid named Mason Lee plays at Cal state Northridge, um, local school out here played with a couple guys that play at UCLA. Lucas Gordon was a good friend of mine growing up. He's a left-handed pitcher at Texas. Gotcha. So, got some buddies that are kind of all over the place. Yeah, I gotcha. All right. So, you know, one thing we've learned is coach B he recruits early. So, you know, I used to think I would know when players were going to get recruited for college. And I'm finding out a lot of times it's more and more earlier, especially with Ole Miss. At what point did you get on Ole Miss's radar? So kind of like I said, I was a little bit of a late bloomer and wasn't the guy that was getting recruited my freshman year of high school or eighth grade or anything crazy like that. I first heard from Ole Miss like – February of my junior year and they had seen a video of me on Twitter actually and they were getting ready to come out here to play Long Beach State which is probably 40 minutes or so from me and Carl Lafferty recruiting coordinator reached out to me we had hopped on a couple phone calls he ended up getting a rental car and before the Sunday game against Long Beach drove up to see me throw a bullpen session and they recruited me from there. Very nice. Did you happen to be in talks with any other schools or there was it just Ole Miss and done? Uh, I was definitely talking to some other schools, no other SEC schools. To be honest, the SEC wasn't really even on my radar. I was more looking. I, I thought I was going to go to a more traditionally high academic kind of school. For instance, when I, when I ended up taking my visit to Ole Miss, it was spring break of my junior year and went to Oxford, and then went to University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and then went to Harvard. Ooh. And if out of the three, I would have thought I'd have ended up at Harvard before I ended up at Ole Miss. Man, all right, we got, we're going to have to talk about that because that is <laughs> – I mean, when you throw out Harvard, and that really speaks to the academic level you were at, like, you know, oh, man, how do you choose between – Look, I, I mean, I live 50 minutes from Oxford. That's why I go to all y'all's games. And, yeah. you know, 
I love this area and everything, but like I picture the prestige of going to Harvard. It's like, I don't know, man. How did, how did you make that choice? It really came down to me wanting to pursue a career in baseball. And I had grown up going to UCLA games, lived about 10, 15 minutes from there. And they're a, a perennial top 20 program, won a national championship a few years back. So they're a really strong program. And they draw maybe on a good day, maybe a thousand fans. I think max capacity at Jackie Robinson Stadium is maybe like 2250. And I've never seen that place sold out, not for a regional, not for a super regional, nothing. So that was my that was my baseline for what college baseball was. And so get off the plane in Memphis, drive down, drive down to Oxford, Arkansas is in town, Ole Miss is number four, Arkansas is number five. And there's like 13,000 people there. Everybody's going crazy. You get the beer showers out and right and people screaming to throw it in the dirt. And I was, it just blew my mind. I had no reference for anything like that in college baseball. Yeah, I have, you know, you, you mentioned the beer showers, you mentioned the Swayze environment. You know, I've been to the majority of the SEC stadiums, and I just don't know that anybody does it like them. Um, you know, Mississippi State makes a good case uh, with, with Duty Noble and obviously the box and LSU, but I don't know. I think if there's something that puts it over the top, it is the beer showers. It's like, and it's yeah. almost like it's perfectly synchronized. It doesn't even make sense to me. It's almost like they're sitting there ready. Yeah. But uh, that, that's awesome. So let's talk about it. You get to Oxford. You know, you have this culture change. You come, you come from Southern California. You get out to, to Mississippi, you know, and hey, to some people, Mississippi is considered the 50th ranked state in the country as far as living. So it's, it's definitely a change from California. You know, what was it like when you first get there and get on campus? I was just overwhelmed, to be honest. There were so many people and everybody was, everybody was rocking university colors, Ole Miss this, Ole Miss that. Everybody's so nice. So, like you're just walking down the walking down the street, walking down the sidewalk, and someone will say, "Hey, how you doing?" And that was I was used to walking around down this down the street here. If someone talks to you, you're like, "Whoa, what's your problem, man? <laughs> are, you, are you asking me for money or what's the deal?" So that was probably the main thing that really struck me was just how genuine and how nice people are in Oxford. And then come to the baseball side of things to, to see Swayze and just to see the caliber of baseball there. I mean, I, I want to make a career out of playing baseball. I want to play in the major leagues and have baseball truly be my life. And I don't think there's a place that could have better prepared me for that than being at Ole Miss. And so you kind of getting back to choosing between Ole Miss and Harvard or another place like that. I mean, not even a question. You don't go to beauty school if you want to be a race car driver. <laughs> I love it. Nice analogy. So, you know, we talk about what the emotions are like when you get there. What's it like the first time that you actually step into Swayze and, you know, you're a baseball player for Ole Miss? What's that feel like? It's a neat feeling. It's a neat feeling wearing that script Ole Miss across your chest and stepping out there for the first time. I'll never forget my first appearance against Louisville my freshman year, that first weekend, they come in, they're ranked preseason number one. Everybody thinks they're just going to be unbeatable and they're just going to wax us and then hop on the plane and head back home. 
gets to the Sunday game and jogging out of the pen, you just like can't feel anything. You're just like somehow your feet are hitting the ground, but you don't really know how. You're not you're not in control in that moment. And then just the the energy in that environment and being in a place where so many people not only are watching you, but so many people care and are invested in what you're doing and are there to support you. It's such a, such a neat environment and such a neat feeling. There's really nothing that I can, can even compare it to. Right. And, you know, you say you bring up the Louisville game, you know, I got to hear you pitch 2.1 innings and you, you didn't give up any hits, you know, like, I mean, to come into a game and that, and that's your first game against the number one team. And, you know, y'all get that win. Like, I mean, like what a way to start your career, right? Yeah, I think honestly, probably I don't want to say that it exceeded my expectations because I, I've always expected to have success. But I think more than anything, and I'm sure we'll get into this at some point, was sort of what came with that performance and the the attention I got online and stuff with the whole everybody calling me a psycho and all that stuff, like that was what was truly unexpected about it. Hey, um, I, I was going to wait on it, but since you brought it up, I mean, look, I'm, I'm having a conversation with you. Daniel's probably thinking the same thing. You know, we're titling the episode, Let's Get Psycho, and you seem like the nicest dude in the world. So, like, you got to <laughs> explain to us how that comes about. Uh, there's definitely a, a switch that gets flipped a little bit. Um, I just love to compete. I love to compete. I love going out there whether it's anything like we'll, we'll be sitting in our team meeting room and I'll be setting an over under for how long our team meeting's going to be and be asking guys whether they think it's going to go longer or shorter. Like I just love to compete at anything. And so that's what really come when it comes out is when I'm out there on the mound, I just kind of go to this different, different mental place. I, I'm almost not, I don't want to say that I'm like out of body or anything, but it's just a different gear where I'm not worried about anything other than executing this one pitch and just really finding a way to win, just finding a way to beat the guy in the batter's box. I feel like it's something a reliever has to have because, you know, we've had other guys, whether it's been Devin Fontenot from LSU or Landon Sims from Mississippi State, and every one of you guys is very calm and cool collective on here. But when you watch you on the mound, you are so fiery. And I think in order to be a reliever and to be able to come into that situation, it's like you said, you got to be able to flip that switch or else, you know, things are going to go south out there for you. Yeah. And that's even been a bit of an adjustment. I had started my whole career until I came to Ole Miss. And even my, my freshman year, I made that relief appearance against Louisville. But heading into the season, it was kind of a toss-up as to whether or not I might crack that Sunday starter role and then ended up making a start against Southern Miss before that, before that season got cut short. So it was really an adjustment getting used to coming out of the pen where you don't have the luxury to kind of settle in. Like if you don't get the first guy or the second guy, like you're probably out of there. So yeah, you got to learn how to just get it from the jump. Take me back to Louisville though. All right, you come in your first time, you know, on on the bump in a, a high-pressure situation against the number one team in the country. You do well. You, you, you know, said it yourself, you exceeded your own expectations. Um, you may have even exceeded maybe what the coaches had, had you know, thought that, that you were ready for. 
but with an outing like that, two things can happen. Which one of these two happened to you? Did you feel more confident knowing that I can pitch against the best in the country or was there more pressure because, oh shit, coaches now think that I can handle everything that's thrown at me. And, and like, as a freshman, I'm sure that could be a little bit difficult. So which, which was it? Was it a confidence builder or was it a lot of pressure? I mean, between the two, definitely a confidence builder, but even for me coming into it, like I, there was never a lack of confidence, even, even at my lowest point where I was battling through, like even in that Louisville game, I was battling some forearm tightness, which ended up kind of polluting that 2020 season for me as I was trying to just fight through that and be, be in a place physically where I could compete. But I've never had a doubt that I was going to get, get outs that I could get. I feel like you could throw me in any kind of environment and I'll compete. I'll give us a shot to win. And so definitely, I mean, it was a confidence boost to kind of know that for sure, but I've, that was never really a doubt for me that I would go out and be able to succeed in that environment. So, you know, I didn't know about the, you know, the form tightness and everything, you know, but I was going to ask because you were doing so well before COVID hit, you know, how did that affect you? But with what you just said, we're, I know you weren't glad because your seat, your, your team was absolutely rolling. So, I mean, y'all, yeah. y'all were definitely a force to be reckoned with and did not want to stop. But for you personally, like, was it a good thing because you were possibly going to have an injury that you were going to deal with? Yeah, I think to be honest, looking back, hindsight's obviously 2020. I think that kind of shutdown came for me at the right time that I, I wasn't, it looks great on paper. Like you look back and I've got a whatever one point something ERA and didn't give up any really any runs or hits or anything like that. But I was kind of heading in the wrong direction physically because I was obviously the start of the season isn't when you want to get banged up. So I was trying to pitch through it and just show that I could, I had the toughness and, and grit to go out there no matter what, but I was really kind of doing a disservice to myself and to the team at that point where I think other guys were going to give us as a team a better shot to win because I was going out there pitching at like 75%. But so I guess, yeah, I think that the shutdown kind of hit at a, I guess a kind of opportune time for me that I, I wasn't really trending in the direction I would have hoped to have been, but then was able to come back home and get myself healthy and, then hit the ground running for last fall and then into last spring. Do you, do you think that had there not been a shutdown, you would have had to make a difficult decision um, as far as what's best for you or what's best for the team? Yeah, I think that was, that was definitely the way things were heading. And, and I was, I was really struggling where it was my first opportunity to, to go out there and really help the team. And I'd like to think that I did that, especially in, in that first appearance against Louisville. But then my velocity was starting to, to trend in the wrong direction just because of the forearm thing. And I wasn't really at my best. So I think, yeah, we were, I mean, we were getting ready. I was meeting with coach B pretty frequently at that point, just trying to figure out what we needed to do. 
So I, I definitely think we were kind of heading towards a bit of a, a difficult decision. Yeah, no doubt. So going into sophomore season, were you completely healthy? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, you know, I got it right here. You had 15 relief appearances. You had a 3.57 ERA, uh, 17.2 innings, 31 Ks. Um, you had your debut against Arkansas State through a scoreless inning with 2 Ks. So, like, you know, you're saying you're healthy, you're coming back. Like, uh, we talked about that confidence that you, you had built. You know, so where are you at, uh, you know, you obviously physically you're good. Where are you at mentally there? Are you feeling confident going into that season? Yeah, I'm feeling really good. So I had thrown as hard as I'd ever thrown fall of 2020, came back. My first appearance in the fall, I was up to 96, which had never touched anything like that velocity at that point. Um, and then really heading into the season, things just, just kind of shook out differently than I think anyone really expected. Um, I think it didn't exactly go to plan, but through for for a lot of different reasons. Um, but I'm I'm really proud of how I was able to to pitch and the the results I got and the and the opportunities I got and just was able to to help my team whenever I was out there and when I wasn't out there to to help my team from the dugout. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I could run down your sophomore season, but I really just, I want to get to the career high 2.2 innings uh, with four Ks, no runs allowed against Arkansas in the SEC tournament. Like the SEC tournament, I mean, is a gauntlet and, you know, Arkansas is a perennial powerhouse. So what was it like to put on that performance against them? Oh, it was great. Um, I hadn't thrown for probably about a week and a half at that point. Um, and I was not really sure where my, kind of where I fit in at that point. I was traveling every weekend and would get hot in the bullpen and then sit down and something kind of wouldn't, wouldn't bounce my way. And so at that point I had, I had thrown against Arkansas when they came to Swayze during the regular season and threw pretty well against them. So I knew that kind of my pitch mix played well against them and that I throw a fastball that's got a lot of vertical break, a lot of kind of carry and hop to it. And looking up and down their lineup, they have a lot of guys that they're trying to elevate the ball and put the ball in the air, try to hit home runs, which is what made them such a, such a great team that playing it, playing at bomb Walker the ball flies out of that place. So if they can just get the ball in the air, they're going to have a pretty good shot to put some runs on the board. And so knowing that, and knowing how my stuff plays, I felt really confident going into that season, that series against them in the regular season, and then having an opportunity to face them again in the SEC tournament. I was really excited about that. Just another opportunity to get out there. And it was a close game, came in, I think it was three to two, maybe four to three. It was a one-run ball game. Um, just tried to try to get my team back in the game and kind of shift the momentum a little bit. Didn't end up working out the, uh, the way we had hoped, but it was great to, great to get out there. And I felt like I, I had a solid performance that day. Yeah, no doubt. So let me ask you a question. You know, we usually make this just about the guests, but I want to ask a question, you know, because uh, I haven't asked this yet at any point um, with Arkansas, you know, with them going undefeated in, in the SEC as, as far as series, um, yeah. how surprised were you that they 
you know, not did not make it to Omaha, that they got upset by NC State, even though it appears to not be an upset in the sense of the way NC State was playing. But nonetheless, Arkansas was a giant. So how surprised were you by that? I think it's it's easy to to buy into the rankings and seeing them just roll through SEC series. And I don't want to make it like their SEC schedule was easy or anything, but I think what ended up kind of rearing its ugly head, at least for them, was everybody had acknowledged that starting pitching wasn't their strength, but they had just, they had this Swiss army knife in Kevin Copps that they could just work around it. And I think it was really just that, that series against NC state, they were just, they weren't able to, to work around that. So I guess there's certainly some surprise. I thought they were a great club. Um, and they, they certainly played well against us and pushed all the right buttons when they played us. But I, I don't want to say I knew it was coming, <laughs> but I definitely looking back, I think it's, it's easy to see how they got there and how that, Wait, how that you, went. You've been around SEC long enough to know that regardless of your record or your ranking, when you make postseason play, all that goes out the window. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's all totally about different. getting hot at the right time. All yeah. about getting hot at the right time. Which, ironically, you know, if you see how Mississippi State played down the stretch and then in the SEC tournament, it's interesting that they got hot at the right time in Omaha, not, you know, in the well, I guess in the regionals, but you know what I'm saying, like going into postseason play and then going into Omaha. So uh, it was interesting because they kind of went two steps back before they went forward, but yeah. – um, now, I wanted to ask because, you know, I've asked a lot about, you know, other teams. I haven't really asked about what people have thought about Arkansas. So, with y'all, the question that I've asked every guest from Ole Miss, which we've had a ton, and the answer has been unanimous one way, but I'm going to ask you, it's just because I ask everybody, do you feel like if y'all had Gunner, y'all are absolutely going to Omaha? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you look at just the injuries we took on last year, and it's easy to look at, look at Gunner and look at Tim, but even you go back, like we missed Peyton for a couple of weeks. We missed Doug for a couple weekends. Um, and just different guys being banged up here and there. Like we just had really had some tough luck on the injury front that I think if you kind of take that away, I think we're, we're having a different conversation right now. Yeah, and I've seen some of the pictures with you and Doug on the on the Ole Miss social media. Y'all y'all seem to be very animated. How much, you know, is are you going to miss Doug Day, man? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he and I are are really good friends too, and um, it's it's been neat to to learn from him and just see him, someone who's just an ultimate competitor. So someone that I I don't want to say that like were cut from the same cloth or anything like that. But two guys, I think that just really love to go out and compete and aren't afraid to kind of show our emotions a little bit. Um, it was neat to, to see him have so much success and just see him be so successful and really help, help our club out. Um, and he's, he's an awesome human being. So it's been great to see him succeed. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we talk about the things about Swayze and Ole Miss. I mean, 
you know, I follow all these other teams. We have all these other guests. They don't have a day for one of their players. So that that's just another thing that you put under Ole Miss. I mean, they had a day for Doug. So yeah. it's always cool. And people look forward to it. As a matter of fact, you know, I've seen some of these football games that he's attended and they've called it Doug day, even though it's Ole Miss football, just because Doug's out there on a Saturday. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, we've talked to the other guys about fall ball. So I don't want to, I don't want to jump into that because we've already heard all about that, but you're the first guest we've had on post Omaha challenge. Now I happened to be at the game where y'all did the draft. And that was fun. And that was fun to watch me and my son. So we start watching the draft initially. And I don't know what y'all are actually drafting for. And I thought y'all were drafting like for actual playing against each other in baseball. Hmm. And, it, and it was actually, um, I'm trying to think uh, whose team it was. It, it was whoever's team that Chatagnier was on because like they were drafting all fielders and no pitchers. And I said, okay, they can't be playing baseball because if not, they don't have a chance because they don't have a pitcher yet. And they were like six yeah. deep already. So I was like, okay, they're doing something else. And then finally a girl in the stands told me um, that they were doing it for the Omaha challenge that y'all are going to be competing in numerous different events. And now since then I've followed on social media and man, it looks like you guys had an absolute blast. So first tell me, you know, whose team you're on and then talk me through some of the events and then what it was like. Yeah, so Derek Diamond was was our team captain this year, um, and we had a lot of veteran leadership on that team too. He ended up drafting Tim Elko and Max Chofi too, so those are two older guys as well. Uh, so there was no shortage of veteran leadership, and just the whole week it's it's an awesome week. I think it there are guys that either really look forward to it or really dread it. I don't think there's there's many people in the middle there. Um, kind of like we were talking about earlier, it's just a great week to be able to go out and compete and compete at some stuff that you don't really know how good you are at it, that you may not know how, how well you can carry two 150 <laughs> pound farmer handles and you have no idea how far you can carry them in, in a minute. I saw, the, I saw the pictures of Kemp Alderman and I was not surprised at all because that's a big guy. Yeah. Um, but there's stuff like that. It's like, you don't know who's a good swimmer. You don't know who's good at dodgeball. And, Are you good at dodgeball? I mean, you're a pitcher. Uh, the greatest compliment I have ever received from Coach B was last year after we played dodgeball in the Omaha Challenge, and he said that I was the single best dodgeball player that he had ever seen. And nothing will ever top that compliment from Coach B. Daniel, if we ever get into a dodgeball competition, we're, we're going to pick up Wes. <laughs> Him and then Peter LaFleur is my second pick. <laughs> ah, at least you're picking him over Peter. So tell me, uh, you know, obviously you were on Doc's team. So I got to ask then, I mean, I seen the dude with all the hardware. Like, I mean, yeah. is he just an absolute boss or what? Yeah, I think it's, it's awesome seeing him during Omaha Challenge Week. Um, he's so good at so many different things. And I think that's what makes him so successful in the Omaha challenge is he's able to like, he's kind of a Jack of all trades, if you will, where I thought it was amazing. Even like he didn't win a single event this week, but he won the whole thing because the way they do the points is it's how close you are to the guy who wins the event. So he wasn't necessarily like, didn't necessarily run the fastest 40 yard dash, but he was pretty fast. And so he's close enough to, I think it was TJ McCants who won right. the 40. Um, like wasn't the fastest swimmer, but was like a top five swimmer. 
And then when we do the long distance kind of challenge course on that Friday, like he didn't win it, but he came in the like top five, top six. And so you keep stacking those up for every event through the week. And it's just really impressive seeing, seeing someone who's, who's so well-rounded. Yes. Mr. Consistency. Yes. So let me ask you about a, uh, a guy. He's a freshman that I got to watch pitch in high school. And then I've heard nothing but good things about. And then in the Omaha challenge, I kept seeing him um, in the top five and a lot of different things. And since you're a pitcher, you know, tell me about Riley Maddox, uh, not just pitching, but, you know, Omaha challenge, uh, you know, his character, athleticism, all that. Talk to me about him. Yeah, I think he's an awesome young man. I think he's certainly on the, on the field is a, he's got an electric arm. I think he's really going to help us this year. I'm excited to, to really see his career unfold here. I think he's a guy that is uh, well set up to, to have an awesome career here at Ole Miss. But again, a, a great competitor that came out in the pizza bowl a couple weeks ago where he ended up closing things out for our team and went out there and I think threw as hard as, as he had thrown all fall. Cause he was just kind of, kind of fired up and, and that, that engine was, was revving all right. But uh, he's, he's an awesome dude and I'm excited to see what he, uh, see what he accomplishes here. Yeah. I was at the pizza bowl. So I assume that if you were with him, you obviously you're on the winning team. What's it like to sit there and eat pizza and watch your teammates run around the, the field? Uh, it's fun. I've won two pizza bowls and I lost one last year. And I can assure you that it is way more fun to sit down and eat pizza than it is to be running around the field. There's about four or five of your teammates. I'm not going to call out, but they let Tim Elko beat them jogging around the field. And that's for that's when you got an injured guy. Yeah, that's that's inexcusable. They, they were being kind of lazy. I, I didn't like it. But yeah, I, I will say it. Usually the tradition, usually the tradition is that we'll save about half our pizza, let them run a couple laps, and then we'll share the pizza with them. But this year, the uh, the running display was just mm-hmm. not up to not up to snuff. It it was pretty embarrassing. There was guys getting slowing down to almost a walking pace. Absolutely, which, there was one group out in front that was actually running, and then all the yeah. rest of them were just yeah. Uh, needless to say. The, the losing team didn't get any pizza saved for him after that well, run. Well, Daniel, now I know how my son got one because Hayden Leatherwood is his best buddy. And my son asked him if there was any pizza left over, and Hayden just went over there and grabbed him one. Hope I don't get him in trouble for that. But it, he, he, <laughs> hooked, he hooked my son up with the pizza, and I was surprised there was any left over. And now I know why, because y'all didn't let them have any. No, no. You got to earn it. Absolutely. Right. Well, uh, you know, last question I got for you, you know, we ask every every Ole Miss guest this, and I think it's a pretty simple answer, but it's Omaha or bust, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we're – I think we'll have the best offense in the country. I don't know that that's really up for any kind of debate. Um, we're returning our whole offense pretty much, and then we've got some really talented freshmen and transfers coming in. Um, I think it's really going to come down to how well we can pitch it, I think – because it's great if you if you put up 10 runs a game, but if you give up 11, it doesn't really matter. So, and, and I think I think everyone, particularly out in the media, has has acknowledged that as well. But I think I don't think our pitching staff has necessarily gotten gotten the credit that it deserves. I think we've got a a lot of talent, a lot of guys coming back. Derek Diamond has really impressed me this fall. 
You get we talked about Riley Maddox. Hunter Elliott is another one. Um, I, I watched Hunter Elliott in the best high school matchup. He went head to head. He was number two against number one in the state. Uh, Brady Tiger, who's at Arkansas now, and I mean, I knew he was going to be electric. And then I've I've came and watched him there in y'all's fall games, and yeah, he he's the real deal. Yeah, uh, another guy that I'm really excited to to see pitch this year and just really see contribute. Um, I think I think he'll really help us this year. Yeah, I, I I think there's a lot of talent there. I think people just need to see it to know. Yeah, and that's 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 fair, but uh. I think they'll see it. I think they'll see it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's nice to and reassuring when we hear you guys say, you know, you have the ability to fill the holes left by the some of those guys that were on that staff last year. And yeah, I think that's always the biggest question is, you know, we know that you guys are returning a bunch of offensive players and you're going to be able to hit the baseball, but um. Did you fill the holes on the bump to allow you to, to, to win the games that, that you need to, to win? And to me, it sounds like all indicators are pointing to yes. And it'll be a fun season for you guys, man. I, I can't wait. Um, I'm excited for you. We're excited for Ole Miss baseball. Man, I think it's, uh, it, it's setting up to be a special season for you guys, for sure. Wes, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you this. I'm so excited about Ole Miss baseball. If you haven't figured it out by the stuff behind me, I'm not an Ole Miss baseball fan, but obviously I have relationships with about 15 different players on there. I asked my wife for season tickets to Ole Miss baseball because I just love being in Swayze. And, you know, y'all are hosting Tennessee, which I know a lot of guys, obviously Mississippi State, know a lot of guys. And so, and I just, I mean, I like their environment watching baseball there. So, man, you're going to see me there. I love Swayze. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Yeah, man. All right, Wes, before we get you out of here, we're going to play a little game, man, and, and we're going to have a little fun. You down to play? Absolutely. Hit me. All right. It's, uh, it's called This or That. It's very simple. I give you two options. You just choose one option or the other. You just can't say both, and you can't say neither. You got to be decisive and stick with your guns and pick one. Awesome. So um, I didn't tell Jim this. This is uh, we're, we're headed towards the end of – of the season of our, our podcast, uh, episode or season three, uh, we're getting ready to head into season four, um, probably the first of the year. So I'm, uh, I'm piloting a couple new questions tonight. So, uh, it'll, it'll be if, interesting if, to see. If only you were right, we're season four heading into season five, man. Oh, you lost in yeah. time. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, hey, he's on East coast long, time, West. Oh. It's been a long ride, man. It, it's getting late. Yeah, man. Uh, so let, let's do this. You know, first question. Would you rather have no red lights ever again or never wait in a line? No red lights. No red lights. Not even close. Are you, uh, are you a guy that's on time all the time? Yes, very punctual. Uh, there is nothing that drives me crazier than people being late. Yeah, we, we've had some guys on here, and, and, you know, there's a high correlation to the guys who are struggle with being on time to saying they would rather have no red lights because their, uh, their first excuse for being late is always going to be traffic. Oh, so, I just hit so much traffic. Oh, yeah. red. Uh, yeah, I just man. don't wait in that many lines. So, 
I guess that's it's a it's a frequency deal for me. Here. All right, next question. Logan Paul, Jake Paul, or Wesley Paul? Uh well, my middle name is Paul, so we're gonna go Wesley Paul. That's that's where I was going at. And, and more importantly, you gotta bet on yourself. You yeah, don't believe absolutely. in yourself, nobody else will believe in you. Absolutely. If you had to pick one way to communicate for the rest of your life, would you choose you no phone and only talking to people face to face? Or would you go uh, only phone, no face to face? So face to face to face. Face to face. So you could you could take it or leave the FaceTime. You you want to see them in person. Yeah. Oh, I'd rather see people people in person. High five, dap, hug, you know, all, all that good stuff. I got Give me the phone. <laughs> of course. Um, is, is a spork more of a spoon or more of a fork? I think it's more of a spoon because the, the, little, the little tines of it, the little spikes, they're never long enough. You can't, you can't effectively stab anything. Yeah, I, w- I would like to... No, actually, no. I don't want to know people who use a spork as a fork. I, I, I just don't care to know those. <laughs> Doesn't people. work. Doesn't work. That, that's one of those new ones. I didn't. I didn't expect that question coming at all. What's better, a king size candy bar or a bunch of different mini bite sized candy bars? I'm. I'm gonna go bigger. I'm gonna go king size because then it's gonna be. I'm gonna pick what I want. And I don't have to deal with it being being something I don't like. All right, what's your go-to candy bar? What's your favorite? I'm not a big candy guy. I'm not a big sweets guy. Um, yeah. If it's if it's Halloween, uh, I, I may may enjoy an almond joy or a Mounds every once in a while, but that's about it. Oh, those are like the grossest ones. My whole perspective of Wes has changed, man. <laughs> Golly, I mean, I. I I could pick a hundred candy bars that are better than both of those. You know, I, oh, fair enough. Wes, you killed it's him, like, bro. It, it's like it, it would be the same as you saying, you know, Milky Way is my favorite candy bar. Oh, well, that was going to be my fallback. So I guess oh. I'm not doing myself any favors here, am I? No, uh, you need to stick with your first answer. You're not a candy bar guy because it's, yeah, it's apparent. Yeah. yeah. Very apparent. All right, is is a hot dog a sandwich? Yes no. or no? No. No. I can see that. You know, you know, Daniel, I gotta weigh in real quick since this is a new question. I would never think it's a sandwich, but you know, I watched them ask a whole bunch of athletes, and I'm assuming that's where you pulled this from. And so many made a case that it is a piece of meat between two pieces of bread. And I don't know, man. I am conflicted. Yeah. I- I think it's in its own category. I think it's a hot dog is just a hot dog. And then a sandwich is a sandwich. And a burger, I just, a burger falls into the sandwich category, obviously. But a hot dog's just its own thing. Yeah, I'm kind of torn on the burger, actually, because if you're, if you're willing to tell me a hot dog is its own category, I can believe that. But the burger has to be in its own category as well. Mm, mm. I mean, I, I can't classify a peanut butter and jelly sandwich the same way that I classify a hamburger. I just can't. I, 
man this is this is man we are going down the rabbit deep, hole yeah this is a deep-rooted question uh philosophically um you know it's, it's personal preference i guess all right this is this next question is a big one it's becoming a staple question it's actually probably my favorite question because i find out whether i i really find out who's a liar and who's not all right would you rather spend 10 years in a coma or five years in jail Ooh. It, it's this is this is easy no it's not very easy yeah, we're on different sides of the fence i mean well when I come out of the coma, am I back to normal? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back to normal. 10 years just... in a freaking coma. Sign me up. Oh, no. G- give me, give me the 10 year nap too, because this dude ain't going to jail. I'm going to be, ta- I'm going to be Taylor Broadway cellmate. We doing our five years and we going yeah. we, you know, swinging. And he's a liar too. There's <laughs> only, there's only one guy that I believe. That's it. One. <laughs> So last question, and we usually ask this question to every guest that we have on for the first time. Um, I've reworded the question to be more baseball friendly for you. Mm. Uh, would you rather be the first round, for the first pick in the first round, but the caveat to that is you, all of your friends can no longer be your friends anymore and you cannot talk to them ever again? Or would you rather be the last pick in the draft and keep your friend let me let me just give you a little tidbit of information the difference between these two picks is about eight million dollars so you're basically asking me to value my friends at (laughs) friends or money friends so yeah it's simply put would you rather have friends or would you rather have money um i'd rather have friends than money but in this situation, how does that affect my ultimate goal? Because the goal isn't to get drafted. The goal is to be a Major League Baseball player. And I think I could be a Major League Baseball player if I'm drafted in the 40th round. It may be more difficult than if I'm drafted in the first round. But I think you can still make it just the same. So I'm going to go 40th round, keep my friends. Wes, let me tell you something, man. You know how many new friends I could buy with eight million dollars real this, ones zero oh real ones real <laughs> ones no, no you're i i i'm 100 percent in the same boat that you are but it's it's always fun just to kind of get an idea of where people are I, I i think only the fighters say money and that's because they don't get paid very much to get punched in the mouth daniel <laughs> uh, they they deserve way more money than then they get paid, but because this dude right here ain't, and I'm not signing up for that. Not at all. All right, Wes, man, we're going to let you bounce. We're going to let you get out of here. Anything you want to plug or promote before you get, get off? Uh, I'm on pretty much every social media platform, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at Wes55Burton. If you want to check out my t-shirt line, you can get a t-shirt or a hoodie at breakingtea.com slash Burton. Man, got your merch, got everything set up, man. It's it's been a pleasure. Um, 
Wes, if you don't mind, before the season starts, or at least before you guys get into SEC play, we want to have you back. We want to get a, you know, an update on you and see where where you guys stand, and 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 you know, get a get a maybe a temperature check as to where we're headed for the season. Absolutely, I'd love to. It's been a pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, man. Uh, that's Wes Burton. Everybody, follow him on Instagram at Wes Five Five Burton. You can follow Ole Miss Baseball on Instagram as well, at Ole Miss BSB. We're going to take a break. We're going to plug our sponsors. When we come back, Jim and I are going to do some headlines. Tattoos have become more of a normal part of society. And, you know, one of the things that's a common mistake that people do is they just go anywhere, you know, closest place, maybe, whatever's convenient. And a lot of times they get a piece of art that stays on them forever that maybe they don't like so much. So let me help you and eliminate that problem. Go see Jeff Flea Watts. Easy Flea Tattoos. You can find him on Facebook or Instagram. And you can find him at 1731 Dancy Boulevard in Horn Lake. Number is 662-280-0763. All right, boys. So you know I've struggled with pain. You know I've struggled with weight loss. You know I've struggled with anxiety. And you know I've struggled with sleep. What if I told you there was a place that could help you with all of these things? True Life Dispensary, pain relief without narcotics, sleep, weight loss, anxiety relief. You can find this at 117 West Commerce Street in Hernando. Hours, Monday through Friday, 9 to 7, Saturday, 10 to 5. So check them out and get your life turned around. Welcome back to the In Off the Bench podcast. We got some headlines for you. And I know a couple weeks ago I said we weren't going to lead off with baseball, but I lied. We're going to lead off with baseball um, for, I think, and I say this, I think, for the last time for a while. Um, but, Jim, uh, Major League Baseball had its awards season. It gave out MVP awards, Cy Young awards, Rookie of the Year awards, Manager of the Year awards. but. I want to get your take on a, a few of these. Um, we'll start at the top with the MVP, and it was, you know, it was, it was no no surprise. We've talked many many days, many times about the American League MVP Otani, but I'll, I'll get your thoughts. Like deserving of the award, and you know, I don't see anybody you know that was on the the leaderboard list that even posed a threat to him yeah no absolutely not and the interesting stat that I saw now because Mike Trout has three of them and now he has one is the Angels have four MVPs no World Series no even playoff you know series wins so you know that's great and all it's great individual accomplishments you know are great but man at what point do they stop having individual accomplishments and team success? And obviously we know they went out and got Noah Syndergaard, but, you know, I, I think if you ask any of those guys, they would, they would rather have a world series title. So, um, you know, he deserved it good for him, but they've got to figure out a way to have a winning formula on that team. Yeah. I think they would give up the personal accolades and these awards by just having the opportunity to be in the playoffs that even compete for a World Series. Um, right now, they're not even in the discussion. And I, I don't think adding Syndergaard really puts them there. It might 
bolster them up, you know, and give them. If, know, if he's, if he's what he could be, he helps. But to your and Randy's point in the group message, you know, he's got to stay healthy to, yeah. to believe in anything, but to flip that over to the, to the national league MVP, Daniel. So we don't even got to get into it because you know how I feel about it. We just talked about the team accomplishment. Well, you know, Austin Riley not only got him a World Series title, he announced on Instagram two days ago that um, they will be having their first child. So, you know what, man? That dude probably don't care. Not one about the MVP. He got a World Series title and a baby on the way, bro. Winning. Man, what's the – I wonder what it's like to raise a, a kid in New York. I guess, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll find out, right? I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna happen. But the flip side to help your argument is they're sure being stubborn about paying Freddie Freeman. So, and that's supposed to be their guy. Yeah. Well, you know. Well, they they've got all the milk out of the cow that they needed. They won. So now it's like, okay, what now? Um, we'll shift to Cy Young, National League Cor- Corbin Burns with the Brewers, American League Robbie Ray with the Blue Jays, and still, you know. Obviously, you know, Corbin Burns and the Brewers, you know, they had a great season. But, you know, then you look at Robbie Ray and the Blue Jays not in the postseason. Another award winner that, you know, didn't didn't make postseason play is that. I, I'm assuming he would do the same, like he would give it up just to have an opportunity to play for a World Series, don't you think? Yeah, well, and the problem is I didn't see him enough. Uh, I just see stat lines for him, whereas I can say the difference for a lot of these guys in the National League hunt. Let me ask you this, Daniel, because I'm so, um, you know, dumbfounded the fact that neither of the Dodgers guys got it between Scherzer and Urias. Do those guys, you think, take votes away from each other? Um, No, but I think it comes down to innings pitched. And I think, you know, guys like, you know, Burns and even like you looking at the list now, the, the ax leaderboard Wheeler and Bueller. How was your rise not on that? There was only one 20 game winner in baseball and he's not even on the top five. That's a great question. I thought the same thing. I mean, um, I don't know. it, It goes back to, the way baseball does awards or any kind of like notable accolade, it, I don't know what the thought process is and what the reasoning is. Um, but you know, it is what it is. I don't want to take away from from Burns or Robbie Ray. Well, I'm not gonna they, take away from Robbie Ray because you said something about the postseason, but I mean he played in the the hardest division in baseball. I mean, you know. When and you think about it, and yeah, Garrett Cole played for the Yankees, who made it, but like, you know, Robbie Ray isn't playing with the same talent that Garrett Cole is. Period. Very true. Very true. And then, if we keep looking, nationally Rookie of the Year, Jonathan India with the Reds. Uh, no surprise there. I have um, major beef with the other one. Randy Arozarena. I, I mean, it's. Do you know just, why? Do you know why? Well, I mean, he he's not a played, rookie. He played. He played in the World Series. Like exactly. he played in postseason play, and 
by I guess by rule and by definition he is a rookie but you're right I don't consider him a rookie by no means uh, he deserved it if you're if you're if, if you're classifying him 100 as a rookie that's not my issue I just don't think he is a rookie right I mean here here's here's the big argument here is Randy Rosarina wins it and is played all of postseason, had unbelievable postseason in their World Series run last year. Wander Franco is a rookie. Like, he was in the discussion, but Arena had three times as many games played as this guy. Like, it, it you see where the, the di- discrepancy lies? Like, I don't understand, like, how Arena can be in the conversation with a guy like Wander Franco. Just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I need somebody to explain that to me. Help yeah. me out. Well, uh, you know what? We don't get paid to pick these. So, I mean, our, our opinions are irrelevant at the end of the day. And I'm glad, too, because I wouldn't agree with any of these. Maybe a couple of the winners, but for the most part. Ugh. The, the, the uh, only one that I, you know, uh, I digress against is is – Harper just because his stats were unreal. I just I have a problem with how he the series when it mattered he couldn't even muster a hit. But that's I mean his stats were undeniable. His team was competitive. So I mean that's the one I I will digress and give up. Yeah, I mean when you go when you talk about most valuable player, what does that even mean? Like if you're not in the postseason, how valuable are you? You know, so I, I mean, if you look at this, if you look at the sport, we talk about it the most with in the NBA, you know, the MVP is always on a team that is more than highly competitive, usually at the top. I mean, I think Russ, you know, my boy is probably the only one I can think of because he was they were the sixth seed that year. I think that's he's the only one I know of that they weren't like the one, two or three seed in their conference when they won the MVP. Yeah, I don't know it. To me, I feel like the NBA MVP is probably a little bit more cut and dry and easier to to determine. Um, and I don't know if it's just the sheer number of games that you play in baseball or the amount of stats or, or what it what it is, but um, these you know these awards in baseball are, are tough. You know, we'll uh, we'll finish it off with manager. Um, Manager of the year, Gabe Kapler with the Giants. Kevin Cash with his second one with the Rays. Any discrepancy or any argument with these two? Man, absolutely not. I mean, we we talked, you know, ad nauseum about the Giants and their success. And every time me and every other hater said they were going to fall off, they didn't. And so that's – and when you look at the guys that are on that roster and how many names we hadn't heard of and we talked about the age – I mean, how can it not be him? Yeah, and then I think the Rays, I think Kevin Cash is in an environment where if he makes the postseason, given what he has and the payroll and the talent, like he's going to be in the discussion for manager of the year. Yes, yeah, so they, they, they nailed those two. I mean, for all the other ones we don't agree with, they absolutely nailed those two. Yeah, start to finish, you know, from beginning of the season to the end of the season, these two guys have, have done, you know, 
they've exceeded all expectations. Um, you know, obviously maybe Kevin Cash probably had more um, juice, you know, juice in the tank to, to make another World Series run. But, I mean, won the division and went to the, you know, went to the playoffs. Came up short. I mean, it's 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 tough to win. It's tough to win it all. It's tough to make it to the World Series back to back years. Um, so yeah, I, I think they definitely got got this one right. Um, moving on to NBA, I just want to you know touch on this really quick. Um, from your perspective in the East, um, just looking looking at it, the Bulls are at the top. The Nets have, have now maneuvered their way up there. Washington has dropped the game. The Heat, you know, dropped a couple games. Charlotte was the team that we were talking about maybe making a postseason run uh, this year, but hadn't played up to that caliber. Now they're in the discussion. Cleveland is there in the sixth spot. Milwaukee's starting to climb, and the Knicks have just slowly, week by week, just moved their way down that list. Um, with Boston playing a little bit better, Philly playing. Um, hit, you know, hit, hit refresh, my brother. Oh, you want to see it? Are we updated? There we go. Brooklyn. Yeah, because you said Cleveland, and they're down at 10. That's what threw me. That's oh, yeah. How, that's how tight it is right there. One, one loss on one night, and they shifted from 6 to 10. Yeah, and, and that's a 500 team, um, you know. The, the, the noticeable ones in there for me is we've been waiting for Milwaukee and Boston to be what they're supposed to be, and one's won three in a row and one's won four, and there they find themselves six and seven. So uh, those teams have woke up, and we've expected them to be there. I know Boston's got their issues, but definitely Milwaukee um, needed to wake themselves up. I think ultimately, um, I th if you go back to it, the eight that are there, Daniel – yeah, if Philly gets healthy, um, one of those teams is coming out. But I think – so let's just say the nine that are there. I think the nine that are there are the nine that are there. Yeah, I, I agree. Do you think, though, that for so long the West has been such a dominating conference in regards to the comp comparison between them and the Eastern Conference? But do you think the Eastern Conference is starting to close the gap a little bit? Yeah, at least on that top half, um, they definitely do have more depth than they used to have, but definitely in the top half because those those top teams, especially Brooklyn, Chicago, and Miami, um, and if you get Milwaukee, you know, if they continue to stay hot, you know, those four teams can compete with anybody in the West, undoubtedly. Yeah, and then when we do look at the West, I mean, obviously you got the Warriors just just working, folks. I mean, the Suns are right there, too. How many Jazz, games have the Suns won in a row? They have won 13 or, in a row. You know, and this is the same team that did it last year. They did a run like that. I mean, they were one in three and then went on a 13-game just housing streak. Like, that's, that's pretty impressive. Um, Memphis currently up on the Jazz, 112 to 110. They got three and a half left to go in the fourth there. Um, you know, this is – Memphis is, is frustrating to me to watch and, and follow. They're 500, but they lose. They, they get blown out by teams like Minnesota, but then they turn around the next game against Utah and have these competitive close games. Like, 
it's frustrating. I, I, I mean, I, I, I have I have no idea what to think after that Timberwolves game because it's they shouldn't lose to that team. Period. But to get the doors blown off like that, I like I don't, I don't, I don't know what the deal is. I don't know what has to to be fixed. But that's that's just plain unacceptable. You you know it. I know it. And like you said, they're. I know they're around where they were projected to be at this point, but to your point, they've beaten the teams that are good. So we know that they are good. Why are you losing these crappy teams? Why are you playing down to your, your competition? It just, it just doesn't make sense. And, you know, Brian Scalabrini came on local radio and he's a big Grizz fan for a Celtics guy. Um, he loves a lot of the players and he actually came on willingly um, criticizing a lot of them for their lack of effort. He said he's not – he said he watches their games. He says he is not – on the nights they lose, it's clear that they are giving lackadaisical effort. So maybe it's not as hard as we're trying to figure it out to be. That's an ex-NBA guy who is uh, rooting for them who's saying there's guys out there not giving the effort they're supposed to be. But, I mean, here's, here's the reality, though, man, is that if you told me – that let's say the season ended today. If you told me that Golden State, Phoenix, Utah, the Clippers, Dallas, Denver, Portland, and the Lakers would finish above the Grizz, I would be like, okay, you're probably you might be right. So like it's it's hard to like jump on that like, oh, they're they gotta be better bandwagon. I mean, they do have to be better, but it, the, the reality is, is like the teams ahead of them are either supposed to be ahead of them or they were that questionable could be ahead of them or couldn't be. It just depends. But it's so tight between where they're at and the five spot, basically, that no different than when we were just talking on the East. I mean, a couple bad nights and you can easily shift that. So, um, you know, no, no reason to go to DEFCON 5 by no means, but got to quit losing those games. I do want to talk about the Lakers above them. If there's ever an, a night to have the podcast uh, after a Lakers game, it's this one, Daniel. Um, Russ scored 16 in the fourth. The Pistons scored 18. I don't care that the Pistons aren't a good team. It was good to see Russ completely dominate, take over a quarter, be highly efficient, um, donking on somebody which he just doesn't do that much anymore it got me excited got me believing that he still got the juice in the tank and then um Kendrick Perkins he says a lot of stupid stuff he says a lot of good stuff so you know you you, sometimes you go with it sometimes you don't I'm gonna go with it and says that everything that happened last night with the Lakers um with with the negative um is the opportunity for them to come together as a team and rally around each other through that incident. Um, he's been in NBA locker rooms. I haven't. And so I like to believe that maybe he's on to something. He could be completely wrong, but uh, I'll say this, the King is protected on that note. Um, I believe that him and uh, I just went blank on the cat's name from uh, Detroit, but um, they should have had equal suspension. I can't believe that. Um, LeBron only got one game, and that dude got two games. I mean, yeah, he acted like a maniac, but he got his wig split, bro. Like, yeah. I, I, so, the, the way that I saw it is 
from a camera standpoint and a fan standpoint, watching it in slow motion, it's easy to kind of say, oh, well, he didn't really mean to do that. Okay. But standing on the block next to him, like I could see how he could take that as he meant to do that. Uh, I, I've watched it a hundred times. It it looks intentional to me. It's hard to it's hard to unintentionally punch somebody in the face. Yeah. If it was an elbow, and that, and this is what I heard Jay Williams say, it's easy. Like elbows get like accidentally thrown, right? Like, but his his arm comes back and his his hand obviously. Cr- uh, you know, hits him right in the face and it hits him well enough and hard enough to obviously, which really just shows LeBron's like, you know, actual strength. You know, we see him flop around like a fish and everything, but it really just shows LeBron's strength because, you know, kind of a, a half hearted swing of his arm and he absolutely busted somebody open. Yeah. What I think is funny, you know, in that situation is the fake tough guys on the Lakers team. My All those included. Dudes, your your boy, he was. I think he was candidate number one for fake tough guy of the night. But I'm gonna tell y'all right now that ain't nobody on that Lakers team wanted the smoke that Isaiah Stewart was trying to give out. None. That of them. dude. That dude. Like, it reminded me of like on wrestling. It's they like have these altercations where they have to bring the locker room of wrestlers to break up the fight. And like somehow like magically, like the guy gets away and ends up going through all 15 of these other big ass dudes to get to the person. Like, well, and and that was, and that was the thing. And to your point on the fake tough guy, right? So, all right. So it took like 20 people to hold back Stewart. Whereas you have like guys that are smaller than Westbrook and smaller than Anthony Davis, like one guy holding them back, knowing damn well they could get through them if they wanted to. Meanwhile, Stewart, it was taking a whole mob of folks to stop this dude, and he was absolutely trying to get past them. I think the, to be honest, I think the little guy that cleans the the sweat off the floor came out there and was holding Russ back. I think the scariest dude on the court because when they showed the clips from every angle of all the players. Rondo with his hoodie on, pointing and then talking and, and looking really calm and cool, kind of like a kind of like a gangster as he was playing in a mob hit, was the scariest one. I think he was talking about, man, we could just catch him outside and we could deal with this later. Oh, that's right. <laughs> could you imagine like if something like this happened in the bubble? Oh man, that that'd be legit. I'd I'd like to pay. I'd pay to see that for sure. Just. Yeah, what what happens after that? Well, everybody's saying that that Stewart is gonna get sent to China to play basketball or whatever, because when you mess with LeBron, he can end your career. I think that's stupid. It ain't yeah. I don't think that's happening. I mean, it ain't it ain't that deep. Come on, man. Competitors, dude got punched in the face. Like he has a little bit of of leeway to be upset now. He might have took it a little overboard, but I mean, when you run into the locker room and people are chasing you because they don't know if you're going to run out the other tunnel to come after somebody, like that's a problem. But you know, continuing with the hardwood, let's move to college basketball. Um, some pretty, you know, I think for the first week we had some pretty uh, memorable, intriguing games. I mean, you had, you know. Tennessee, North Carolina, Purdue, Villanova um, in that in that tournament. 
you know, Purdue, man, Purdue looks legit. Purdue beat up on North Carolina, turned around, beat up on Villanova. Um, you know, and that was a team that, you know, Villanova beat up on a really good Tennessee team um, and just, you know, looked totally off against Purdue. But let me let me ask you a question. As you as you mentioned, Purdue and, you know, you look at this top 25 and I think about last year as well, when you talk about Illinois and Michigan has and, you know, obviously Michigan State is, is always there has the Big Ten became the best conference currently in basketball, at least over the last few seasons, over the ACC and the Big 12? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, if you take postseason play into account, maybe. I mean, even though um, hard to tell i mean if you look from top to bottom in the top 25 you got purdue you got illinois you got michigan and michigan's reeling they've lost two in a row um you've got and that's it like you got those teams right there receiving votes though you got ohio state michigan state right there on the outside so like you know Obviously, teams that we know traditionally are good. I just, I feel like the the depth and the talent of the Big Ten has caught up because it used to be the ACC was king and then Big Twelve was right there. But I, I feel like I feel like the Big Ten is a force to be reckoned with now. Yeah, I mean, if if you want to go even further, you got to look at the Big Twelve as well. I mean, you got Kansas, you got Baylor, you got Texas. Just, they could have Memphis if they wanted them. You're right. They could, but, I mean, Texas is going to be out, and that's not going to really matter, you know, in a couple of years. But it's – I think that's the great thing about college basketball is there's just so much variety of who is actually really good and who's not. Um, or not, not necessarily who's not, but, like, really – in all honesty, any team could win on any given night. It's just it, you got to play well. And I, I think that's what we're missing in football is the you, you kind of have an idea, like, at the end of the year how things are going to go. And when we talk college football next, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, the, the football playoff system. But that's the one thing that I think college basketball has right. They, they have this tournament that, in my opinion, does a really good job of, of telling you who the best team in the country is. Well, we're going to find out who the best team in the country is tomorrow night. I didn't even know this until I was looking at the upcoming schedule. Man, Gonzaga and UCLA square off tomorrow. That's, that's going to be a battle. Um, you know, I... man, talk about, talk about your resume builder. Like, I mean, when you, you know, assuming that, you know, neither of them fall off at any point, somebody's going to have that, that win. It's going to be the definition of a signature win. Yeah. When's the, I mean, when's the last time a number one uh, played at number two? Man, the last one I could even remember was when it was Memphis and Tennessee. <laughs> I mean, especially this early in the season, that's, uh, that's pretty legit. But I mean, let's, uh, let's you gotta you gotta stay up till ten o'clock to watch it. But I mean, it's it's gonna be there for you to watch. 
Speaking of speaking of Memphis, though, man, um, obviously struggled a little bit with Western Kentucky. You know, Duran really got to show um, that he's a man amongst boys. But, dude, I wish Virginia Tech, they are the number one team receiving votes outside of the top 25. I wish they would have got in. So um, that gives you a, a matchup against the top 25 team. But, man, what an opportunity here to um, go to the Barclays Center and, and play Virginia Tech and Georgia. Like, this is – or or who's the other team to play? George, George is the next team. Uh, they get Xavier or Iowa State. Yeah, I was. I accidentally looked at the schedule ahead and looked at the next team. Yeah, so um, an an opportunity, and you know, I mean, th- this is big for Memphis in a in a big time you know venue, and I think I don't think I'm being biased here, man. I, I bought my Memphis basketball hoodie today, dude. Like I'm I'm all in, DB. I think you got to be. There's so much promise, and these guys are so good. Um, it's just a matter of limiting turnovers, man. Like, it, and it's against Western Kentucky, it was just silly turnovers. And I guess all turnovers to an extent are silly, but it was like bad, like awful passes and just dumb stuff. Like, it, they look like, you know, exactly what they were, freshmen out there at, at at particular points in the game. But when you rather think, them get it out of the way against a team like Western Kentucky before playing these, these bigger games in a bigger venue. Well, yeah. And I, I, I've said it, you know, last week is that their slate of tough games was, was headed, you know, right for them. I mean, that was starting with St. Louis, you know, I said it, they're going to reach a tier of teams that are significantly better than what they were playing in St. Louis and Western Kentucky. And then they were going to ratchet up with another set of teams that were in a tier above them with Virginia Tech or uh, and Iowa State or Xavier. And then after that, you've got teams like Georgia. I mean, they're they probably won't win the SEC, but they are an SEC team that plays really good basketball and can play with anybody in the SEC. Then you turn around and play Ole Miss, which is in, you know, basically in the backyard and that's that's a big game you got a a really good murray state team and then you got the number 10 team in the country alabama followed by the number 15 team tennessee which we all know how that game's going to go um that's going to be a battle and that that month of games from st louis to tennessee is it's basically going to tell us everything we need to know and it's it it, it might be tough at times to watch but I think you're going to be able to learn a lot. And I think they're going to grow the most that they're going to grow off season in this stretch of game. Yeah. And I mean, it starts with this first one and I, I'm looking at Virginia Tech's five wins. Um, they haven't played. I mean, they've played an even easier schedule than Memphis has. So, I mean, for both these teams, you know, I, th- I think Memphis has played a little bit of a harder, harder stretch. They both played four out of five at home. So, I mean, this is, um, this is a this is a true test for both of them. Like you know, you're going somewhere that's not home. You're going against a team that's legit. Both of them, like it's both of these teams are going to find out a lot about each other. But I mean, I just man, I I watch them and I get get excited. And you know, when you look at the the stat comparison, uh, Memphis averages more points per game. Um, they average a better field goal percentage average more rebounds, assists, blocks, steals, like 
in every category and by a lot. And, and here's the one, what, it, what's the thing I've been the highest on, right? I've been talking about the blocks and steals with you, Daniel. Okay. Their defense can be overwhelming. Here, here's a stat comparison for you. Memphis averages 11 blocks per game. Virginia Tech averages three. They average 11 steals per game. Virginia Tech averages five. If their defense swarms and is overwhelming, they put that full court pressure on them. They use that length and athleticism. I think they can absolutely take care of business. Well, I think what you're going to see here is you're going to see less um, substitutions, less um, lineups in and out. I think you're going to see a higher ratchet of defense. Um, okay, hold on, hold on. So let me let me ask you a question since you since you brought that up. <clears throat> Um, do you there, there's you know people always look for a reason to criticize a coach and even somebody of Penny's status you know they've criticized him playing so many guys but do you I I personally know but I want to ask you because you're you're an even bigger Memphis guy than me you you st- you study that team even more than I do do you criticize Penny for trying a bunch of different guys in a bunch of different lineups trying to figure out what he really has I mean the the, the ideal world would be to have a Gonzaga based team where you know who your five are and you have role players that you substitute in and out just for different sets and give guys breaks. And then in the event that somebody gets in foul trouble, you have your, your, your backups for, you know, to plug in, but Penny has done it the same way every year, every year. It's the same conversation is the rotation. Why so many rotations? Why are these guys starting? Why this? Why that? And every year he seems to figure it out and starts winning games towards the you know middle and back half of the season. This is no different. It's just the players are better and the expectations are a little bit greater. But he's still, still the same coach. So um, so is it is it? Let me let me run down. So is it, it's Bates, Duran. Um, have we decided that Alo is? Do, do we think he's going to fall out of the starting lineup on a permanent basis? But he'd still get minutes, right? So we think Alo's in the yeah. mix, right? So yeah. there, there's there's three, Minot four, Nolly five, Kenyonis six, Timberlake seven, and DeAndre Williams eight. Is that your, that would be your eight? Would you would you not agree? Yeah, because I mean, you know, Chandler Lawson's supposed to be in there somewhere, but he has not looked good, man. Right, and I think a lot of it is there's some outlying issues going on, and like it, that's neither here nor there. But yeah, your your guys, and even Tyler Harris coming off the bench has looked great. Um, but you, your guys are Bates, Durant, Lester. Um, and those are your big three. The others are, you know, a mixture of Alex Lomax, Minot, Landers Nolly, DeAndre Williams. You know, that's your your second tier of guys that keep the ship running and, and are contributor, big contributors to what we're doing. But I think the guys that need to be, you know, running this thing are from from a, a production standpoint, are Bates, Duran, and Lester. Just a thought. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, 
but yeah, I, I'm I'm ready. I think this week it's nice because I get a chance to actually sit down and not have to worry about work the next day. You know, I can I can stay up and, and really analyze the game. And, and yeah, ESPN two eight thirty our time nine thirty your time. So it's definitely a good thing that you don't have work the next day. They testing you with that one, huh? Yeah, but either way, if I had work, I'd still be watching. I'm gonna. Right, I man. just realized I'm gonna have to find somewhere in New Orleans that night to to watch it. I didn't even realize that that was Wednesday. So, well, I have a feeling you won't have a problem finding. <laughs> no doubt. And and since my wife's a big Memphis fan, obviously being a student there, I got her on board. So I know I got that. There you go. All right, college football. Let's talk it, man. Last. Uh, Last week's slate of games, I'll, I'll give you where we landed. So, um, you got five points this past week. I got three. You went from 18 points to 23. I went from 27 to 30. Um, I've never gotten a three-point game right, I don't think. You did this past week. So that's what I'm saying. I think this is the first for me. I think celebration you, is in order. You you went against the grain and by all indications, the way the year's gone, you should have. You picked Michigan State to cover, uh, or to they were getting nineteen, which I I don't know how. I picked Ohio State. That's the one point I got because I was just trying to go opposite of y'all. Um and that's got, the one game that cost me on my six-game parlay, too. Yeah. Bastards. You, you got two points for Oklahoma at Iowa State. They covered four. I got two points for Baylor covering against Kansas State. You took Michigan to cover 15 at Maryland, and they did. And then I took Alabama to cover 20-and-a-half against Arkansas, and that definitely didn't happen, so. Like I said, you ended up with five points, a very solid week for you. Ended up with 23 total in second place. I got three at 30 total uh, in first place. So seven points, you know, and either way, uh, a, a perfect week could put you right back in the mix. So, Well, I want to with- touch on one of those games that you picked before we, before we do that. I, I okay. haven't done the blow the whistle segment in a long time. And, buddy, do I ever want to blow the whistle? Right here. And man, this Alabama-Arkansas game, and I could blow the whistle 20 times, but I specifically, especially because I'm talking to a Cowboys guy and who will tell you every day of the week that Des caught it, okay? Uh, and, and I bring that up because the – Hey, Duke you know Browns, what? It's, what? It's November 22nd. 2021, 11.34 p.m. Eastern time, and guess what? Dez caught that ball. Yep. And so I say that to tell you that was not a catch, not now, not never, not ever in the future, and I don't understand. That's why I got to blow the whistle. That's why I actually got to take the time to call that play out. He never had control. It was moving the whole way, and by the time he hit the ground where he still did not have control – the ball moved, and I can even make an argument that I think it was skidding across the grass. Like, it was the most no-brainer, no-catch ever. And then it came back, and this is coming off of a game where there had already been, like, five calls that were BS. And so, you know what, man? Like, people already don't like Bama, 
outside of Bama, it gives you more reason to hate them. And I think everybody, everybody I've talked to anyway, is just hoping that Georgia absolutely demoralizes them come SEC championship. I mean, here's the thing. I, I think that's possible. And yeah, I don't, I don't think it takes much for, for me anyways, to have a little more hatred for Alabama. Um, so, so let me flip it though, to the team that, all right. So I don't think Alabama is legit and let me take it to the team that took their ranking at number two. And, and you brought up an Ohio state. Are you a, are you a believer now? Like, and I'm not saying that you weren't ever, I mean, we, we jumped off because they actually lost the game early in the season, which they, they don't do. Um, and then they had games where they didn't cover, which wasn't normal because it was always, you know, death taxes in Ohio State. But now um, they are just smoking everybody. Is, is Ohio State a legit threat? It's hard to say. I mean, is, was Michigan State overrated? But, I mean, it's not even just Michigan State. Every Big Ten team, they've been rolling through. And, obviously, we find out with Michigan this week, um, this, is, this is as big as that. I mean, it finally actually seems like a rivalry game with Michigan-Ohio State because Michigan's been so bad for the last X amount of years and Ohio State's been so dominant that it actually there's been no hype coming into that game. This is the first time in as long as I can remember that there's actual hype coming into that game. And we're going to – we're going to find out a lot, but whoever wins that game is going to, is going to secure their spot in the playoff. Well, here, going back to the original question you asked, we're going to find out if Ohio State is that, that threat this weekend against Michigan because we all know Harbaugh and Michigan's you know, fortunes when it comes to playing Ohio State. Well, Ohio State goes in there and thumps them, then yeah, they're the threat that we thought they were. Now, if they go in there and get beat, or if it's a much closer game than we had imagined, then there's going to be some questions as to whether this team is really the team that we think And you are. remember, we, we all predicted that Harbaugh would not be there when this season's over. Can you imagine, after all that, they, they started the season unranked. If Ohio State comes in there and Michigan beats them and gets into the college football playoff, Harbaugh not only jumps off the hot seat, but all of a sudden is contending for a national championship. Talk about something I wouldn't have bet money on. I know. LSU's going to want him. <laughs> no, we don't want him. Um, there are a couple rumors out there because, um, you know, now the rumors are Kiffin to Florida. Um, they're, uh, the James Franklin ones are really stirring up, and I'm trying to think of the other guys. I think is it, is it the Utah coach? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they have to now, like with, with Florida opening up, it becomes a, I got to get the guy, I got to get my first pick first, mm -hmm. you know, because I mean, I would just, you, you, you would know better. And I, I would, is LSU a better spot than Florida? Like, I, I don't know. Uh, the the re here's the reason why I'll say yes because Florida has to recruit against Florida State, Miami, and as I read an article about Clemson has stolen a crap ton of recruits from Florida. Whereas in Louisiana, if you're a star player, other than the few who decide to go to Alabama instead of LSU, then the mass majority are going to LSU because it's their dream. 
you don't even have to be that great a recruiter to get the kids from Louisiana to LSU. Very true. Very true. All right, man. You want to talk some predictions for this week? Oh man, we got it's rival it's rivalry week. I almost feel like Daniel, like I think we need to do more than I think we need to do more than three. I, I almost we could break we could take down NFL a couple picks if you want for time's sake, or we could keep it as it is. But I feel like a rivalry week, man. We need to like we don't got to add the points to them. They can you you could add them worth more uh, more worth one point. But like there's so many good games to pick. Like I don't want to just pick three. All right. Well, let's uh, let's. Let's go through them, and then we'll decide if we want to pick them or not. But so I, obviously, I gotta... Michigan-Ohio State's game of the week. That's a no. So, yeah. Yeah, so let's start with that one. Michigan-Ohio State. Ohio State is given eight points to Michigan. They are in the big house, so it's going to be a cool, chilly, 23-degree day, uh, partly sunny. The number four Buckeyes looking to go in and do what they do to the Michigan Wolverines with everything all the hopes and dreams on the line for this game 12 p.m start who you got man you know i'm taking michigan well that's uh that's a solid solid choice but as my good buddy lee corso says not so not so fast my friend Ohio State traditionally owns Michigan. And it traditionally, Michigan, when the chips are on the table and they need to win, they don't. So give me the Buckeyes, cover an eight. Um, give me the Buckeyes to win by two touchdowns. Mm. It ain't going to be on my parlay this week. I ain't touching that game. Oh, no, I wouldn't either. But the, the other one, I think, if anything, if we're going to add at least one, I think we got to pick the Egg Bowl, man. Like, we, 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 we talk to all these Ole Miss and Mississippi State athletes. You know, it's they're both ranked for the first time in a long, long time. I forgot I, I heard it, and I can't remember the amount of years. Um, both ranked in the top 25 coming into the Egg Bowl. It's only a one-point spread, like – it's a big deal, man. Too bad they're right. playing at the same time as the Saints on <laughs> on Thanksgiving, or I'd watch it. Well, I'll tell you this. Give me Ole Miss by two touchdowns. Man, no, sir. Will Rogers, bro. I'm, I am sold by the lead dog, man. Give me Mississippi State at home. So we're against each other again. Yep. And, and that might be a, a pretty – pretty good trend so we we keep will so can we add that one and we'll make it just worth a point yeah I'll, I'll put it on the list i mean we can add as many as we want um i mean the uh, the other big one do, was yeah, oklahoma sure. oklahoma state you want to do auburn alabama man no once bo Nix went down that that one is not even competitive but I, oklahoma oklahoma state you're talking about number 13 against number nine. It's a four-point spread. That I mean, that one definitely intrigues me. I'll tell you who I'll take. Gundy. Give me the fighting Gundy. You know what, man? I'm gonna I'm gonna stay opposite of you just because it seems like the trend right now. And you know, I gotta make up some ground. 
Well, so just just give me Oklahoma, which, by the way, that's another name that is a hot name out there. Lincoln Riley is all of a sudden on the LSU candidate list. I mean, does he want to be the Oklahoma coach in the SEC, or does he want to be the LSU coach in the SEC? I don't know. I feel like Oklahoma is a great job. I don't. I, I don't know which one of those is better. And being that you you would normally say LSU because it's in the SEC, but because Oklahoma is coming and you're already established there, I feel like I would stay put if I'm Lincoln Riley. But I know this: I would leverage it to get more money. You, you know who need? Uh, you know who would be great at LSU? Hmm. Mike Gundy. No, we don't want him. That's. That's All right, that. so now we can do our three-point and seven-point games. All right, so less than seven points. Who you got? Small dog, less than seven. Yeah, you know what, man? Uh, uh, there's somebody I really want to pick, and it's so stupid, and I'm going to do it anyway. Give me – Give me LSU at night against Texas A&M, who a team we've grown to hate. Oh, that is a LSU getting six and a half, just just under six and a half, getting six and a half versus Texas A&M. All right, for me, oh, man, who am I going to take? Less than seven. Less than seven. Look at these. At a loss, but I think I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go with Iowa. <laughs> Iowa going to Nebraska. They're gonna. Um, they're gonna. I, I I think they're gonna end the Scott Frost era at Nebraska this week. I think in, in, in the trend that I've had, give me Iowa by two touchdowns. <laughs> They're getting one and a half. One and a half. All right. Greater than seven points. Who am I going to take? Oh my god! There's like four I like, so if you do take mine, I got just another one ready. But there's one I like more than the rest. Arkansas, Missouri. I do like that one. There. Oh, Georgia. Georgia Tech, 35 points. Hey, man, they cover every spread. I was like, I, I, I look at every week. They'll be Their spread is anywhere between 30 and 50, and they cover it every week. <laughs> you know what? 
Give me. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go there. Give me Georgia. Covering thirty-five. The big one. That was gonna be one of the ones I went to if mine was picked, but since you didn't pick it, I want Cincinnati to cover the fourteen over East Carolina. You gonna pick Cincinnati? You gonna do them like that? Cincinnati gonna win by forty. Well, they need style points. I said it once, and I'll say it again. Give me Georgia by two touchdowns. <laughs> Hopefully by, by 20, 20 touchdowns. Yeah. Cincinnati, what are they? They are 14. Yep. They are at East Carolina. Man, all right. Let's let's I'll, I'll recap it for you. All right. You got you're taking Michigan. You're taking Michigan or Mississippi State. You're taking Oklahoma. I'm taking Ohio State. I'm taking Ole Miss. I'm taking Oklahoma State. You are taking LSU. I'm taking Iowa. You're taking Cincinnati. And I am taking Georgia. Man, this is uh, you could be right back in the mix, man. There's no reason why you couldn't be. It'd be interesting. Anything else to hit on college football? I mean, I I could talk about Memphis, but I'm really disappointed. Um, all the way around. Um, I feel like there's no point in putting yeah, it down I, that road. What, what what I will say is that if they don't come ready to play against Tulane, they will find themselves not in a bowl for the first time in a long time. So, going to throw that out there. And the way they played, it wouldn't surprise me if they did lose, which is sad to say. True that. There's that. There's that. All right, man. Let's talk pro football. A lot to get to, a lot to talk about. Um, what I will do is start with our games from this week, um, how we did, where we ended. So you took Kansas City, and you got a point for that, or you got a win for that. You got a win for the Vikings. You got a win for the Cardinals. You lost the Browns. You lost the Saints, but you won the Bengals. I, on the other hand, lost the Cowboys game, lost the Packers-Vikings game. I did win the Cardinals game. I did win the Lions game. They, uh, the Browns did not cover. I won the Eagles game, and I won the Cincinnati game. So we both ended up with the same record, four and two. So last week you were 27 and 14. This week you went four and two. So your total this week is 31 wins, 16 losses. It's pretty damn good. Uh, I was 19 and 16 last uh, to end last week. I went four and two this week. My total is 23 and 18. So um, still eight games back of the champ right now. So I got I got a lot to do, but. Uh, before we get into this week's predictions, last week's games, um, anything noteworthy, willing to that we need to talk about? Uh, yeah, uh, a couple. I wanted to say that for all the Titans fans who, after they beat the Saints, 
talked about how they were unbeatable. You lost to the Texans. And then you started throwing injury excuses out at me. No, 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 no. The Texans are terrible. It's inexcusable. You beat the, the Saints with injuries, which is one of the things that was gloated about to me. So you get no excuses. You get no pass. You lost to a terrible team. And so Titans, that's what you get for – or Titans fans, that's what you get for having a big head. Probably the Titans players too. They probably walked in that game thinking it was easy money. Um, I wanted to note a couple things. One, the Vikings-Packers thing, and you're very familiar with this because you haven't been fantasy. You, we had a group text discussion when this season was starting after the first few games, and I asked, is Justin Jefferson a top-five receiver? And both you guys said, if he's not, he's right there. He's absolutely a top-five receiver. Would you not agree at this point? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it helps when you go head-to-head with the best receiver in the league or one of the best receivers in the league, and you have the – the output and the performance that he had uh, this week, um, you know, but it's another to do it week after week. So yeah, like everything I saw this week in that game and I got to, that was a TV game that I got to watch. And, you know, obviously I'm an Aaron Rodgers hater, but I have Justin Jefferson on my fantasy team. So I had some vested rooting interest in that game. So yeah, everything, everything I saw had me believe that he's top five. And so while we're talking about top five guys, I'm going to switch to another game. And and really, you're going past top five. We're talking top three, maybe number two. Where does Jonathan Taylor – and obviously, he's been amazing all season. He's the leading rusher. He'd be second if Henry was playing. But, you know, obviously, putting five touchdowns on a Bills team that's supposed to be aspirations to go to the Super Bowl, where's Jonathan Taylor for you? Well – I mean, obviously, he's towards the top. It helps when Derek Henry's hurt and like he's. he's but it, would would he be? Radar. Would he be just simply? Is he top? Is he top three? No, not top no. three. And here's why: it's it's me being bitter and petty about the Colts' run game over the past however long because inevitably you get one of those fuckers on your fantasy team and it's always never the one starting that needs to have the good game. Right. And it's always the guy that you're playing who has the guy who has the good game. So like, I, I don't know, like, he, is he a great running back? Absolutely. Is he top three? Not in my eyes. Is he top five? Probably. Um, but his catapult to being one of the greatest one of the best backs in the league right now has a lot to do with the best back being injured. I will say that. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, which leads me to my last one. It's about my team, okay? I was texting y'all through the game. Trevor Simeon, for the first time, looked like a four-string quarterback. He was atrocious, and he kept getting worse, and he kept getting worse. And Taysom was active on the sideline, dressed, was cleared. And I kept thinking, go to Taysom, go to Taysom. There was 20 Saints fans at Buffalo Wild Wings. Everybody, go to Taysom. Sean never went to Taysom. But it's not even about that that I'm going to ask you. How does then Taysom get a $95 million contract today when he can't even get in the game? I even asked Randy, the money guy, 
And he said he's looked at it and he doesn't understand either at all. I, I don't know. There's something what, I'm missing. I've got. Well, what, what, what is really skeptical to me now is the guy who was your starter. Where, where does that put him at the end? Of the right. Season? And, and from what I read, from what I read, this says that maybe Taysom Hill is your starter Thursday, which I can only pray and hope because I will be there in New Orleans. And you know, there's nothing that would make me more excited on Thanksgiving than my boy to be the starter, but that, to your point that he's their guy of the future, but it's interesting that you would make that move in that direction when you're not even putting them in right now. I, I just, I've never been more confused about something in my life. And that's why I wanted to ask somebody from an outside perspective, because I mean, I just, he can't get in the game, but yet he's getting paid like, and they're saying he's a guy of the future. I don't, I, I'm just I'm lost, man, and and so I'm just I'm just hoping at least I'm gonna take it one week at a time trying to figure this out. I'm hoping it just means Thursday, my guys there, because you know how it is with Taysom, it's the same as Westbrook. Win or lose, I, I at least want my favorite guy out there. Of course, I need him to have Alvin Kamara, which which is a was a big problem um, this week. Um, they can, there's no way they can win. You're already without Winston, as we talked about. We got receivers who can't catch the ball. If you don't have AK-41 in the backfield, it's a problem. So I'm hoping they left him out, um, you know, because he was supposed to be back and then he wasn't um, with the plan of bringing him back because it was a short week on Thursday. And um, Sean Payton is 6-0 and on holiday games, uh, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. So maybe Taysom will be out there. Maybe Alvin will be out there. Maybe they'll get it done. But that game was terrible to watch. I hated it. Taysom didn't play. Simeon looked bad. Defense looked bad. Whatever. I mean, it, you take the – if you take the fourth quarter out of it, like, I don't even know. I don't, I don't know how you made it as a fan watching it to the fourth quarter. Well, that, oh. that's, that's what – Man, Daniel, it was 33 to 10 or no, 30 to 3. Yeah, I want to say it was 30 to 3. Yeah, they it it looks like 14, 13, 6. That's, no, it's 33, 7. There it is. Okay, so yeah, it's 33, 7 when you add those points up. And I had got my, my tab. It was me and Jackson left. The girls had left. Um, I was going to walk out, Simeon threw a touchdown. I hung on for a second because then New Orleans immediately forced a turnover and they scored a touchdown. I said, okay, okay, maybe they'll make a comeback. And they, and they get it to, you know, uh, a 10-point 10, 10 game and then the Eagles just went right down the field on them. And I was like, why did I subject, subject myself to actually believing that they were going to come back. Yeah, I, you know, for three three quarters, you couldn't figure it out, and you thought for one they were going to. At, at least in your at least in your game, while it was misery, you Dallas never because I I got to watch you know the the second half. I didn't get to watch the first half. There was never like a belief in my mind that they were going to come back and win that game. And so I know you as somebody who keeps it real about your team, I don't think you ever thought they were going to come back and win that game. No, here's, here's the thing. And I, I was talking to some friends this morning about this. And if you're going to beat a team 
like the Chiefs, if you're going to beat teams like the Bucks, if you're going to beat the Packers, you're going to beat championship caliber teams, and you get in the red zone, you got to score touchdowns, man. You can't settle for field goals. You, you know, you, you just can't. Um, the good news was, is the Cowboys are still in a great position. Um, and you got a you got a nice slated game for Thanksgiving. So you can write the ship this week. You're still in full control of your division. You know, so I mean that there there is silver lining here for them. Whereas, like as we talk about my team, you know, the Bucks won the night, so now they're two games back of them. Um, you know, we got all these issues. Da- Dallas has the ability to be able to fix their issues and get things right, and they're in a division where they should be able to run away with it, even with some struggles. So that that's uh, that's the good news. I mean, if you take the Broncos game out of the equation and you go, all right, when you get to this point in the season, your losses is going to be to the Bucks and the Chiefs. You could be like, all the right, two teams in the Super Bowl. I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm good with that. Um, obviously, you want to be competitive. You want to win. And in both of those, I would say, like, even as as bad as it looked at times the Cowboys were still in the game. You know, they were just one score, one touchdown and not settling for a field goal away from really being in the game. So, um, you know, you, you learn from it and hopefully on a short week, they're able to take care of well, business. I mean, the Cowboys, usually, the, Raiders. the Cowboys usually take care of business, but the reason why I say, I think they should win this week is the, the Raiders are kind of in a free fall. So you're catching the Raiders at the right time. I don't care who we catch. We just need to win. Keep winning games. Keep playing well. Um, so with that, man, let's jump into some predictions. Um, you know, I'll I'll go ahead and I'll I'll, I'll pick first. All right. I, I've set the trend every week by doing it the same way. Um, I'm gonna go Cowboys. They're giving seven points to the Raiders, and I'm taking them. All right, give me the Cowboys as well. All right. All right, Daniel. I'm I'm hedging my bet. So you know what I'm doing. Give me Buffalo. Oh, wow. I'm either gonna get this pick right or my team's gonna win. That's what's gonna happen here. I mean, I'm not. It worked out with LSU, Florida. It did. I'm, I'm going to take Buffalo as well. Uh, pick again, Jim. All right. I'm going to pick a hard one. I mean, the Colts have looked really good. I'm gonna go against the grain, man. Give me, give me the Colts on the Bucks, and not even because I'm being a Bucks hater. I just, I just want to go with it because the Colts have looked good the last two weeks. Yeah, give me the Bucks. Bucks minus three. That one could go. That one could go either way. There's no doubt about it. If the Colts play like they have the last couple of weeks. It's a game. Very true. Some good man. This is a good week, bro. 
Are you kidding me? Ravens, Browns, 49ers, Vikings, Rams, Packers, Steelers, Bengals, like Titans, Patriots is now and look at the Titans, Patriots get look that Patriots five and yeah. They're but they're at the top of their division. But look at this. I mean it's seven, four, eight, three. If the Patriots win that game, I'd have to look at it, but I would I actually think would the Patriots be the number one overall seed in the AFC? I believe so. Uh, my my pick, give me the the Rams going into to Green Bay and beating them straight up. I know they're getting a point, but I don't care. I can answer the question. They would be the number two behind Baltimore. So they are New England's in a in a big time spot this week. All right, who you got? Rams, Packers. Uh, Rams. I was hoping you would pick against. Going, going to the Ravens. Give me the Ravens. They're given four points. You did that on purpose because you know I'm gonna take the Browns. Yep. Browns. Oh, I'm watching Jaw highlights. Came up on the TV. Did they win? I'll tell you in just a second. We'll we'll go ahead and pick this last game, and I'll know by then. Oh, Josh shooting free throws at the line for the tie, and oh no, oh he missed, but the put. Oh no, he missed the free throw. He went up for the putback. They're calling for basket interference. They end up getting a jump ball. Jaw gets the jump ball. I'm giving you live play-by-play. Not as good as Eric Hauser time. Jaw kicks it out. Jaron Jackson for three. Buckets! And they take a one-point lead with five seconds left. What's going to happen, Daniel? Since you're not watching, what's going to happen? Uh, Donovan Mitchell has the ball. He's driving. Fading away. Brick. And, 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 and as we talked about, Memphis – Beats good teams in Utah. Wow. Big shot. Go ahead, Triple J. No, Triple J hit the three. Man. Josh got to hit free throws. He does. I'll give him this. If you're going to miss it, go all out to try to put it back in. He earned earned them the, the, for whatever reason, I don't know how it became a jump ball, but. Got it, though. All right, last game. Who who you got? Give me the Bengals. The Bengals. Covering three and a half at home against the Steelers. The game game I was going to pick, but I really – it could go either way, man. The Vikings and 49ers, two teams that are five and five, that's that's an exciting game. Both those teams are actually – are, the two best 500 teams in the league. Absolutely, there's not even there's not even a debate. Yeah, I mean, you got to be better than the Broncos, right? And, and if hey, from when you look at our fantasy teams, when you talk about Jefferson and Devo Samuel are just doing the doing the damn thing. For real, for real. All right, man, we got our picks for this week. Let's uh, let's move into this last call. Let's let's get out of here, man. What what do you got? Last call. Um. Man, yeah, uh, let's start with, uh, you know, I always like to go guess, man. Raheem Rambo Forrest moved to 4-0. and 
uh, man, uh, down at the horseshoe, if I would not have been at wrestling watching Mike Reels, uh, you know, I would have liked to have gone down there and seen it, but uh, he handled his business and his professional record stays unblemished. So uh, big ups to him. You know, like one of these days, Daniel, you know, we talk about going and seeing things, man. We had not got to see these fighters in person. I want to, I want to watch them knock somebody in the mouth. You know what I'm saying? Very, like I went to a UFC in Tampa. It's a very weird dynamic because it's almost really quiet and silent. And then when they start like throwing punches, then everybody gets loud. But like you can hear the punches and the kicks, man. It is it's wild. It's just it's just wild. I got I gotta find myself there, man. I, I, I don't I don't go to enough and you know, I went to wrestling which, you know. Hey, it was worth it because my son had a blast, so n- no regrets. But I got to find myself outside that octagon at, sa- at some point. But but, sh- but shout out to our boy, Raheem. Yeah, man. Um, go ahead. Go find you your, your Titus Affliction T-shirt, your ripped jeans, and your backwards hat. And go and get <laughs> you a ticket next time and, and head on down and check out Ram- Rambo do his thing. All right, man. Power five or not so powerful five? Which one do you want first? Which uh, way are you going to go this week? Let's, let's, let's start with the not so powerful five first. All right, man. Coming in at number five, you got the Buffalo Bills. Even though I really wanted to put the the fake tough guy Lakers on there, but I, I opted out because <laughs> the Bills were really bad this week. So I mean, I they got didn't Buffalo. Just lose, they got worse. Yeah, I got Buffalo at number five. At number four, I got a dual number four, but for the same reason. Oregon, Michigan State, have the opportunity to catapult yourself into a really good scenario, and you didn't even show up. So, sucks to be you. (laughs) Coming in at number three, I mean, really, the Seattle Seahawks, Pete Carroll, the whole Whatever it is that's going on, it, it looks like this could be the end of of that run. Um, I'll take Pete Carroll. There you go. Hey, might be an option. Who knows? Uh, coming in at number two, Memphis football. More more so Ryan Silverfield because there's there's got to be somebody to blame and the coach is making the most money, so it goes on him. We got to have better. Um, they said it best what, today, I think, on the radio. I think eight and four is got to be your floor now in the Memphis program. Absolutely, you're not. You're not gonna. You're you're not gonna attract the the conferences when you you talk a big game and then you turn around and you don't make a bowl. Or you go six and five, like that's that's not good enough. Um, so if if they come out and lay a goose egg this week, it'll be the hottest seat that Ryan Silverfield has ever sat on. I'll say that. Um, so he needs to figure it out, and he's got to figure it out quick. Coming in at number one, Dan Mullen. <laughs> Danny Mullen. Yeah. yeah. We talked about it. We we mentioned it. Florida ended up coming back against Sanford. They could not uh, beat Missouri. Missouri, two-point conversion, which I loved everything about it. 
um, you know, they end up taking them down, and that was inevitably the the coffin that uh, uh, you know that was the nail in the coffin that sealed Dan Mullen's fate at Florida. So they'll be looking for another coach here soon. Hey, I got a I got a hot take for with hot cakes for you, and then in regards, you know, all those pictures are going around about nobody's going to miss Florida more than Dan Mullen's wife. You know, for for anybody who doesn't know, that's not new. When he was at Mississippi State, um, you know, and my neighbor, I'm not going to disclose his name, actually, because I'm going to put out there. He's been, but anyway, said uh, she used to come on to the players in a very serious manner. So that that is an interesting topic all within itself. Mm, mm. We'll, we'll just let that simmer and marinate with everybody. All right, Power Five coming in at number five. It's uh, a a combination uh, for the same reason: Michigan football, Ohio State football, uh, getting the job done and really doing their part to set up a big, big matchup this week, which is what we've been waiting for, especially uh, in this rivalry uh, for a really long time—a game that had some high, high stakes, and there's no stakes higher than what they're going to face. Uh, in Ann Arbor this weekend. Coming in at number four, Cincinnati football. Cincinnati needed a signature win. They needed to beat somebody up, and they did that. Um, Now, what that does for them moving forward, only time will tell, but it will all be for nothing if they don't go out and take care of business this weekend and the next. So uh, Cincinnati's at number four. Coming in at number three, Purdue basketball. Purdue basketball, they – Beat the heck out of North Carolina. Turn around the next night, beat the heck out of Villanova. Two top 25 teams, one of them in the top five. So shout out to Purdue playing really, really solid, very good basketball right now. Coming in at number two, Randy would appreciate this. Your boy, Justin Herbert. Uh, look, look phenomenal. Um, you know, he looked like everything that, that everyone said he said he was going to look like um you know potential hall of famer potential mvp um very very good game on his part i mean it was a very good game all the way around really last night if you you stayed up to watch it all unless you're coming against austin eckler in fantasy yeah that's true too um and uh coming in at number one when you score five touchdowns against the team that's projected to have a chance to win the super bowl that's saying something. So coming in at number one, Jonathan Taylor. That 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 is you can't even make this up. Right now, that is what they are showing is his highlights on ESPN while you're talking about him. You can't even get better than that. I mean, that's that's what I do, bro. I I I, I time it up, I sync it up, I get it going right, man. Hey, um, uh hey Daniel, I gotta ask you, man. Um, you know, before we get out of here, like uh I wanna ask you live on the air what do you think about the videos of of the t-rex t-swizzle my, my little girl in there getting on them weights today you know it's it, nothing fires me up more than when i see athletes young athletes working out and, and grinding um but it really fires me up to see them getting in their deadlift <laughs> shout out to her for with her shoes on getting it that's right baby all right, man, let's bounce. It's been late. Uh, another good episode. Uh, we had a great time talking to our guest tonight, Wes Burton. 
if you like his story or other stories from other athletes, or if you just want to hear us average Joes talk X's and O's, please like and share the podcast on Facebook. Retweet us on Twitter. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. As always, your comments, ratings, and feedback is always welcome. We're going to see everyone next week for episode 12, where we're welcoming back on a national champion from Kentucky women's volleyball. Allie Stumbler will be on here joining us. So it's one that you don't want to miss. This has been the In Off the Bench podcast. As always, remember, strong body, sharp minds, grit and grind all the time. We're out.